Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, we really don't have that much to talk about this week since uh, there hasn't been any major racing news or events. Something tells me we'll fill the time. Yes, we will. We will. We'll go off on plenty of tangents. No, us? No. (laughs) It's half the content of these podcasts. Um, So I tried to find some news that's going on and stuff that would uh, basically start a conversation, a fun conversation about uh, racing right now. So the first thing I have is, uh, so do you remember the Australian GP in Formula One? Do you remember that race? Yeah. Yeah. Big mess. Yeah. So... I mean, I mean, I may need some reminders as to all of the incidents. I ha- it, I haven't rewatched it in a while, but that doesn't mean that I I don't remember it. It's yeah. Like, I I just need a, a refresh, if you will. Sure. So there was a lot of red flags. The red flag. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There was. It was chaos at the end. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Go on. So in one of that, I think it was the first uh, restart at the end uh, when Alonso got spun. Uh, yeah, by signs. Correct. Okay. And then signs got a five-second penalty for that. Yeah. And then everybody, and they they made sure that was known for the rest of the grid, so that way everybody could pass him. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the incident that uh, this is in reference to. But basically, Ferrari tried to appeal. The FIA said no, and now Ferrari is trying to set up uh, discussions. They say with other Formula One teams and relevant people. I love the idea of Ferrari setting up, <laughs> quote-unquote, discussions. discussions. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. Yeah. All right, go on. It's very European. Uh, no, it's very <laughs> Italian. Yeah. but uh, So they want to start having conversations about how they can make Formula One rules more consistent, which, first of all, yes. <laughs> also, yeah. I didn't really pay attention to the move. I went back to see what the penalty was actually for. Yeah. It was a ridiculous penalty. It was totally a racing incident. It, I mean, it's a. Ra- I would say, perhaps I'm biased, mm-hmm. but it was a racing incident in most series, if you will. Okay. It was not a racing incident in Formula One. That doesn't fly in Formula One, from what I remember. That it was a heck of a nose dive trying to cram himself into a position that he had no business ma- putting himself in mm-hmm. on, what, the second corner post-red flag? First corner. First corner. Yeah. Yeah. Chill. I know it was a sprint race I, for for, for yeah, two laps, yeah. but chill for a second, man. Like, it, what, it, what it looked like was an inexperienced move, if I remember correctly. That, now, this is... This is, yeah, trying five, to remember five back... Five to yeah. six weeks ago? Yeah. I mean, this is a while... It's a while back from my memory. Yeah, so I rewatched it today when I heard about... Or when I read about this. Uh, okay. And when I rewatched it, it to me it seems like he went up the inside, and it it was one of those incidents where because the tires touched where they touched, that's what spun Alonso. If they had had a hit square on tire to tire or wheel to wheel, let's say, yeah, it would have been nothing basically. But realistically, Alonso had enough space, you know on the outside of that particular corner and signs wasn't like pushing him off. I, you could argue any which way if, that you have a tendency to want to believe that situation and how you think it should have gone down. 
whatever your bias is. But yeah. rewatching it now, after the fact, I look at it and go, "Yeah, that that was kind of nothing." Maybe, maybe I should rewatch it, but I I remember feeling like it was you shouldn't have been there. Signs type of thing, like you didn't belong in that situation at that moment. Yeah, it, it's possible, but yeah, it looking back, it's really one of those things like could go could go any which way. Yeah, you know. However, that aside, I do like the idea of Formula One actually getting their penalties to a point where they're consistent and predictable. You mean like every other major league in the entire <laughs> world for sports? Yes. Yeah, yes. that would be great. Well, my follow-up to that is... Uh, How are they going to do this? Yeah, well, why are the penalties inconsistent in the first place? Well, it's very obvious why the penalties are inconsistent in the first place. They don't have the same people administering the penalties over and over and over again take for example the pga or even if you go over and you play in europe you have either the rules of the rna which is the royal and ancient or you have Mm -hmm. the usda rules okay yeah you had you have any issues in hockey guess what happens you go straight back to toronto there is a boardroom in toronto that has any of the dealings that's going on really it's in toronto that's interesting yeah well that's like that's a mecca for hockey okay so it goes directly back to toronto mm-hmm. and many other leagues do the same thing it's like it's very simple the officials there are sort of the conduit for the rules right they're not actually the people generally making the rules or ge- making the decisions on the rules a little more so in golf than than in hockey yeah. but overall what happens is like in hockey for example if there's something that goes on and the officials are like, eh, I don't really, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this ruling, or uh, what do you guys think about it? It goes straight to Toronto. Toronto goes, look, guys, this is what we're seeing here. It's your call on the ice, but this is pretty much what we see. And then the officials make the final call. For the FIA, all we gather is that it's a bunch of random dudes that just so happen to sit in a room for that given race, make a call, and then everybody's like, that was bullshit. And then they go on to the next race, and they're like, we're going to do something different because those guys got yelled at. And it's like, what, what yeah, are we doing It does doing seem are, like they go one way and then they overcorrect and go the other way. Well, but the they, over, race. they overcorrect because it's a different group of people. Mm-hmm. Every race. Yeah. I mean, some there's some carryover from what I understand from race to race, but it's not, for the most part, it's every every they, race, it's it's pretty much a different group. And yeah. that's, that is not the way to handle rules officiating. And I get that, that racing in comparison to many of the other sports, is much less black and white. There's a lot of gray area. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like you're sitting there at like a tennis event, right? They have those cameras on the lines. Yeah. And they're like, okay, that ball was clearly in. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, can't argue that one. That one's in. But how many times, for example, when it comes to running out of bounds, if you will, have we watched a race in Formula 1 and they're like, yeah, those curbs are good. Those ones are not. It's <laughs> like... No. What do you mean? Like, yeah. either the car is over the line or the car is not over the line. Like, yeah, and how many times is... have you seen someone exceed track limits? And right after they were talking about track limits, and you're like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was track limits. Yes. And nothing happens. Well, not to mention you also get four warnings before something happens. Yeah. You get three strikes before you get a warning, and then you get, like, what is that garbage? Yeah. Like, and. What I would say is I think the gray area, because there is so much of it in racing that's subjective, the gray area should be more consistent in that it should be more of like a we-don't-know racing incident. If if we're 
if we have to debate it that much, whether or not we're going to fall down one way or the other here, right? Racing incident, like that's the whole point it of should, even saying that. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is you should always defer to racing incident. Yes, it's I, a racing incident unless you can clearly prove otherwise. I agree with that completely. Yeah. I I I I'm very for that idea. Yeah, and but I, also your rule like. You just got to figure out how to do something when it comes to some sort of consistency. Because there's no consistency in the rulings at all. Yeah. How do you feel about, like, IndyCar, for example? Uh, I heard it said last week after those incidents that they tend to look at things in a way where, for example, uh, if somebody makes contact, depending on how badly it hurts that other person's race, will affect the penalty or if they get a penalty do you think that matters or is that kind of a silly way to do it i I, know i think it's important to some extent i think it's something that needs to be done it it at least needs to be kept in the back of the minds of the officials making the ruling so in the event that this this individual made like let's say somebody makes a dive bomb right they're just going in deep they make contact it's on the line of look maybe Maybe they would have made that work if they didn't make contact, but there's probably a good shot they didn't. You know, like you're sitting there 50-50, right? That other driver is completely out of the race because he's in the wall or the gravel pit. Done, right? Yeah. That dude gets a penalty. Okay. That's kind of where I'm at with it is, like, if you are making a move that behooves you but penalizes another driver because of your decision-making, I'm not okay with that. Okay. When it comes when it comes to actual contact, right? You know, like because you could say the same thing about oh well, well, what's race strategy, right? It's like yeah, I get the race strategy. Of course, it's going to behoove you and penalize the other individual. I'm talking about actual consequences because of contact made. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think that doesn't get done often enough when it comes to racing is we too often, and by we as in like observers of racing as well as I think the FIA is really bad at this too. They're on they're on our side in the wrong way. We don't defer to the drivers, to the people that are doing the actions, to the people mm. that are there regularly in the sport, mm-hmm. making the moves that they're making in the cars that they're making, or that the cars that they're they're used to driving in. We don't defer to those type of people to go, look, I get that you guys see this, but in reality... There was nowhere he could go, right? Or in reality, yeah, he had a lot more space than than what he actually gave. Because that's the thing is, like, I can sit back and and watch a, you know, like watch a golf tournament, right? We played a bunch of golf as, as kids. I can sit back and watch a golf tournament completely different than my dad. Yeah. Completely different. So it's the same thing. It's it's the same idea. It's like at the end of the day, you you and I are going to watch a race one way, right? Mm-hmm. Drake, who's done a whole bunch of racing, a good friend of ours, is going to watch a race a very, very different way than you and I are. Yeah. And somebody like Jensen Button is going to watch a race even more different than Drake is because he's been there, he's done that, right? Like, it's it's always he's been there, he's done that type of thing. And I think it's really important that if you're—I don't have a problem necessarily with changing the officials when it comes to the rulings so long as it's always updating— to recent drivers that have been in the series. Yeah, I think... I don't want Joe Schmo from from the FIA showing up and being like, wow, he probably could have avoided that. It's like, 
how, how do you know? Like, seriously. Like, it, it, I mean, at least if they keep him, it would be consistent. and Everybody would know where we stand. I, I like the idea of the consistency, but yeah. we've seen consistency when it comes to Formula Drift, right? We've watched that, which is an entirely judged sport. Yeah. So it's almost rulings to no end is mm-hmm. really what it is. And we've seen consistency from from the judges, but not consistency in their rulings because the judges just seem to go, well, I like this driver. I don't like the other <laughs> driver, so I'm going to root for that guy. It's like, do you, are, did he actually win or did he not? Yeah. And, well, in my book, he did. And it's like, all right, what are uh, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think also going back to what you were saying is that you tend to see that played out with the announcers whenever they have an actual driver there. Because you'll hear the announcers trying to drum up drama and be like, oh, so-and-so blocks him from the outside. And then you hear the driver, like, well, no, that was that was pretty normal. Yeah, that wasn't like yep. something malicious or anything. And they have to like clarify that. Um, so I think that happens all the time. And I don't know. It's really interesting because even if you had drivers in there, I think you'd still have to have the people that go by the book to balance them out. Because if you just have drivers in there, they'll oh, just be I, like, "Good to go, good totally, to go, good totally to go." Agree <laughs> totally agree you know? with you. Well, and and I think I, there's something to be said too. Is you can get drivers too that are that are very very understanding of the robot. Like Seb, I think would be Sebastian Vettel mm-hmm. would be a fantastic FIA rules official. He understands what the drivers want to see. He understands what's capable or what the drivers are capable of in yeah. the cars that they're in, and he's also a student of racing. He is somebody that understands every single detail when it comes to the book, when it comes to the technicality of the cars, when it could, like that's the type of person you need in that role. Now, it's not the only person, and that's obviously the optimal person, but I think you can put yourself in a situation where like you could have a, a board, uh, let's say it's a, an FIA board, right? And you could take somebody like Daniel Ricardo, who as far as outside looking in, who knows what McLaren or or Renault or any of Red Bull have ever seen on him? I don't I don't know the inner workings of his personality when it comes to the cars, but at least outside looking in, he appears to be just a dude that goes out and drives a car, right? Yeah. So let's say you get Daniel Ricciardo on on, and then you balance that with somebody that is a strict rule book type of guy. Let them battle it out. Obviously, you have more than two two judges, but that's I'm trying to paint a yeah. picture right like yeah. you you can have the the raw driver that understands something that brings that point of view the raw rule book analyst that brings in that point of view and then you mesh something in the middle and it's like I, I get that that's probably what they're going for my feeling is that it's either they're not trying hard enough or it's not working I, I think what's happening both. I mean it's because the FIA, how many years have we done this? Have we sat back and gone, what is the FIA doing? Well, I think a cynic would look at it and and think that these rulings are heavily biased in terms, especially now, recent years, in to basically to have a show. And I think that a cynic would definitely think that from the championship between, or that last race, Incident with Hamilton and Verstappen that mm-hmm. decided the championship. Yep. Um, Happened with Rosberg and, and Hamilton how many times? Yep. And then also, here with signs, I would not be surprised. You know, it's like it's like conspiracy theories, right? It's like most of them are junk, but sometimes there's like a little thread there. And I feel like... Well, that's all a conspiracy theory needs is just Exactly, to exist. Yeah. But, you know, there's always some shred of truth to it. And it's like, 
you know, the fact that it was Alonzo. Like, if Signs spun a Williams, would he have gotten a penalty? That's a serious question. If it wasn't Fernando yeah. Alonso. No, I so I think he would have. And that's you think scenario. so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he would have. I think it was an egregious of an, uh, enough of a move to, to justify a penalty. Okay. But, but there are plenty of other penalties that we can point towards that he should or should not have gotten um, or did or did not receive in, in reality that we can, we can also have a direct counterpoint to almost an identical move that received the opposite yes. penalty. Yeah. And that's the major issue when it comes to the rulings is there is like, I get that racing is so gray area, but you do have to try to start to provide some sort of black and white. And I think yeah, it's like courts courts will use older cases to, to set a precedent of, well, generally speaking. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I go on. <laughs> Generally speaking, that's a thing. Let me put it this way: I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of stare decisis. <laughs> I, yeah, when it's wrong, it's wrong. But I do think there has to still be some level of consistency. You know, where it's like, okay, if you came to this conclusion before, and you're using the exact same argument, and it's the exact same incident, then it's like, okay, and and more uh, specifically in this scenario, which is a sports series, you know, and you're trying to uh, make it fair. It has to be the same every time. Yes. And so I do think it applies here for sure. Yeah. And well, so and it, it shouldn't be that hard either to be like, oh, hey, guys, this just happened. Has that happened before? And, like, I'm sure they could have a database for that and look at previous incident incidents and see which way it went. I mean, if they don't, they're not doing their jobs. Agreed. That, like, that's the thing is because there's there's plenty of sports that, that have gray areas, right? Like, it's it's – I remember a couple of years ago, the NFL had a big, big problem with what is considered a catch. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know can it just touch your finger? That, like, I know it's, it's obviously not that. I know it you know? sounds simple, but it's like, okay, did, so does he make a football move? Well, what the hell's a football move? Like, that, like you know, it, there, there's a whole bunch of gray areas that can arise, but eventually they kind of came up to something that's close enough to where fans yeah. are like, I mean, Looks like a catch to me, but on your ruling, that's not a catch. So if we can get to that area with the FIA uh-huh. where it's like, look, that looks like a racing move, but all of your other rulings that you've ever had, that's not a racing move, that's a penalty, then that's fine. Yeah. That's where we need to get at. Because we can't, right now, we can't, we play games with the FIA every time. Less so with IndyCar and whatever. Do you know what their governing body is for uh, rulings? For IndyCar? Yeah. I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd just say it's IndyCar. <laughs> okay. So, but, like, IndyCar... Has like, it's not IMSA or something. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like IndyCar seems to have less issues, but they also seem to err almost too far on the side of, yeah, let them race. And yeah. it's, I, like, I agree with it to some extent, but it, there's there's times, I, w- I think it was last podcast, I said somebody deserved a penalty that yeah, did not a, get a penalty. Yeah, oh, the award and Dixon incident. Yeah, I... I was like, I, I feel like you probably yeah. should have gotten a penalty. I mean, you just dumped a dude in a wall, like, <laughs> yeah. and and, it, and didn't make the corner. And like, it was, yeah, and it was like a lunge, yeah. you know. So, so IndyCar's got kind of the opposite issue. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting example too, because like, if you were to look at the definition of like, generally speaking, I don't know the exact rule for IndyCar, but you know, I think you hear a lot uh, on the announcers, or you hear a lot of the announcers saying something like, "Oh, you know, the contact was clean because it was wheel to wheel." And they were side by side at the I, apex. I, I love that in the worst way. <laughs> and you're just like, hmm, it looked pretty bad, though. <laughs> and you're and like, how can that be? How can, 
you know what, the, what that is is good announcers ignoring the fact that moves happen prior to the corner, like we talked yeah, about previous exactly. episode. Yeah, I think that was the lost episode though. No, no, no. We talked about that. It was we did talk yeah, about because okay. that was Long Beach. So we talked about that last episode. Oh, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Moves happen before the corner, guys. Yeah. Mo- like you, <laughs> just because the contact's <laughs> made at the apex does not mean that the move was not made prior to it. Yeah. But I've heard that all the time in Formula One, where it's like, and even the drivers, you hear them on the radio, like I was ahead at the apex, and it's like, dude, if you just don't break, you'll be ahead at the apex. You know, yeah, you're oh, not yeah. making the corner. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's that shouldn't be the metric that we use generally, and that's a different ruling than we're talking about here. But um, yeah, I just it is a gray area, and we need the consistency of the gray area to err to the side of racing incident, unless it's obviously not. And then what else do you think would set it straight? Just to have the same people reviewing the incidents every time. I mean, personally, I think that's the, the most important thing. I think that's the, the type of situation that you need to put yourself in where it, at the if for nothing else, and I'm not even opposed to the idea of those individuals being known to the public. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like that that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, again, I'll bring in another sport. Like we talked about earlier, hockey is a good example of it's the officiating is notoriously bad in hockey. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly fast sport. It is really hard to officiate. Makes sense. But the best officials, and this does happen across other leagues as well, but the best officials, the guys that that are determined by the NHL and by the rules officials and and the board in Toronto are the ones that move on deeper into the playoffs just the same way the teams do. So if this team of officials is doing a really good job officiating that series in the NHL for the playoffs, they move to the next one, Mm. and then to the next one, and then to the next one. So you're saying Formula 1 should have the best stewards. It should have a hierarchy of officials, or stewards, as you say, yeah, Yeah. for for whatever their event is. And it should be just an absolute honor to be able to steward or officiate a formula one race and if it isn't then they're doing it wrong because everything else about formula one is an honor like i'm sorry how many formula one races have you been to never exactly yeah how many formula races do you want to go to all of them yeah (laughs) like how many like how big of a deal is it for a driver to just make formula one on the practice squad like just not even in the actual well, you're race, forever just... associated with F1. That's like XF1 driver is yeah. your official title for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is a significant deal. And yeah. and guess what they don't push? The stewards, right? Like it, I, it should be some big deal. It should be an honor and it should be something that somebody looks up to and goes, "I can do this. I can be the good one," right? Like yeah. I can figure this out. I it 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 drives me not cuz I just feel, it feels half-assed i guess is the best way for me to phrase it right like it just feels like it's an afterthought because oh they're just going out of racing and then every once in a while i have to make a judgment it's like no guys like this is crucial because you you are not only are you affecting the championship that race you're affecting the championship you're affecting a career i mean there's perception there's been been bad official bad calls bad stewards calls that have cost individuals world championships throughout formula one yeah that like that can't be a thing. <laughs> that should never be a thing. That's I mean, ridiculous. There's always going to be mistakes, and that's fine. But 
it shouldn't be to that degree and it shouldn't be so obvious that it is a mistake it should be one of those things where it's like ah i can see this i can see that you know it's like hard to decide kind of thing that's always going to be that way you know something that's yeah on the fence is always going to be on the fence but i think that's a really interesting point and it should be that way you know i'm curious if they do use for example the same stewards on a given race weekend for the f1 race that they do for all the other races and like from a logistics standpoint like that would make sense and maybe it's just because formula one and racing in general is such a different sport that you couldn't do that but i feel like formula one could do that you know where Uh, yeah i mean i i like you tell you tell me right now to put up the best names you could come up with when it comes to to like, like let's say you get a three to five person panel immediately putting Jensen button on I'm immediately putting Seb mm-hmm. Seb Vettel on yeah and then I think you got to go someone a little bit older so give Nigel Mansell a call or Jackie Stewart or mm-hmm. like go go back into I'm I know David Jackie Hobbs. Stewart's going way back David Hobbs <laughs> would be fantastic Steve Matchett would be amazing yes, yeah. like there are a lot yeah. of really good guys that you could all of a sudden you could put together this crew that take rules very seriously mm-hmm but also were drivers in very different eras. No, seven, seven, and yeah. Jensen overlap. But I, I think you need a, a bias th- towards modern exactly. driving. That too. was my that was my next yeah. point. Yeah. So I I like it. It it's too easy for Formula One to do to not have done it. I guess yeah. is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like or to take w- it seriously. Go go ahead and pay like just pay out the butt for somebody like Seb or somebody like Jensen yeah. and just retain them i mean like i think unfortunately though the solution for the fia and i mean you're telling me those guys don't want to show up for one day out of the week to go work quote unquote for a couple of hours like yeah dude you pay them a boatload of money they're gonna sit on their butt they're gonna watch an f1 race okay i was gonna do that anyway they could sit in a a, in a booth i mean they do that already when they're doing like announcing so well, yeah, that's my point. Yeah. Is now they don't even have to work. Yeah, they just have to sit there and watch, <laughs> and they go, "Well, all right, let's analyze this ruling." Like yeah. that's that is a cake job. It's difficult in the sense that it, there's a bunch of pressure, right? But the actual laboriousness of it is cake. Yeah, but for them, it would come relatively natural too. Yes, it would. Yeah, but I, I think part of the issue is the FIA themselves and how typically they just overcomplicate everything. And no, the FIA or, or no, con- make everything very convoluted. Um, for example, like when Ferrari made this petition to say FIA, you need to re- review this penalty. You know what the FIA said? No, enlighten me. I'm concerned, but go <laughs> ahead. They said no. <laughs> they go. You haven't presented us with any evidence or new evidence that uh, we didn't have before, so no. And it's like, I'm sorry. That's not what us asking you to review this penalty is. Us asking you to review this penalty is we think you got it wrong. Take another look at it. Yeah. Not like, no, we're not going to take another look at it. You need to present us with new information for us to take another look at. And you're like, so you think you just nailed it in the moment. You yeah. just perfect call. But is we're that good? We're is, good. Oh, God. Does that, <laughs> does that not just perfectly encapsulate what the FIA perceives themselves as? Yeah, well, th- exactly. They are sort of top dog when it comes to sporting regulations yeah, for motorsport. Yeah, but here's the thing. They shouldn't be. I mean, it's like, yeah. I, you know, all right, sue me, whatever. Like, it, 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 go ahead and call me somebody that is skeptical of, of European rulings. Whatever. I don't – whatever you want to call me. Yeah. The FIA sucks. There's no way around it. They are bad at their jobs. 
regularly when it comes to Formula One in particular. They are often bad at their jobs when it comes to WEC. We see a lot of bad rulings in WEC, too. Yeah. Those are their two premier championships. What the hell are you guys doing if you're screwing up rulings in your two premier championships? <laughs> no one is watching any of the other hot garbage that gets thrown out. They're watching WEC. They're watching Formula One. And guess what? You guys... You know what? The FIA has taken the role of Pirelli. What did Pirelli do? Pirelli, for years, was like the stepchild that just got smacked for sitting there. Right? You mean... The whole tire thing? Exactly. Okay. Pirelli had issues with tires, and they had to sit back, and everyone would be like, we want this tire. They're like, okay, we'll give you this tire. And then they're like, all right, this tire sucks. And they're like, but that's the one you wanted. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you suck at it, right? So Yeah, that that was when they were like, we want the tire to degrade. And Pirelli's like, okay, here's a tire to that degrade. So like, we don't like the way the tire's degrading. And they're like, okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) But Pirelli, for that period of time, justifiably or not, was the whipping boy for Formula One, right? Yeah, because it's Formula One and they want the prestige yes. and the brand recognition, all that. Pirelli has now somehow gotten out from underneath the fly swatter. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how, and I don't know how long it's going to continue, <laughs> but they somehow have. Yeah. My point is, the FIA should somehow be taking that place because they are doing a horrendous job week in and week out. Do you think, do you think the and FIA is too big? It's hard to say. I mean, they control everything motorsport. I like the idea of individual leagues having one authority, right? Mm -hmm. Like the NHL has Toronto, like I said, or the golf has the PGA, or if you're playing in Europe, it's the RNA. Yeah. I like that type of stuff, but I also understand that. Like, golf's a good example because it does go across various different locations. So, even if the PGA Tour plays an overseas event, it's still going to be under the USGA rules. So, it's because it's the same sport. So, I get that racing has a tendency to lean into, all right, it's always, it's at the end of the day, it's still racing. We still, this is the track boundaries. This is where you can put your yeah. car. This is where you can't. The flags, what they mean. And yeah, stuff. that type of stuff. I, I, I think that's, I'm okay with that. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like like Toronto is called the situation room in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I get uh, gimmicky for, for it's sure. It's like a centralized right? thing. But it's, it's a, yeah, it's a very localized, singular entity. Like, I, I am very big on the idea of allowing, when it, when it's a small like, think about your family, right? You don't allow your child to tell you what is allowed to occur here. Yeah. And if your child comes to you and asks you to review it, you tell them to shut up, mm-hmm. right? So I get that the FIA told Ferrari, like, no, shut up. We got it right. Like, yeah. the problem is that they often don't get it right. Like, if yeah. you're a bad parent and your child is regularly coming to you and yeah. going, no, no, like, here's the evidence. This is why you're wrong. Yeah. Then, as a good parent, you should go. Okay, maybe we are wrong. The problem is the FIA never goes. Okay, maybe we yeah, are exactly. wrong. That's what I was gonna say. All they had to do was go. You know what? We'll take another look at it and yeah. see if we were wrong. We think we made the best yeah. decision, but we'll we'll take I another mean, look at it. You just they just deadpan their kid and went. No, no, the Earth is flat. What yeah. what are you talking about? Your geography <laughs> teacher's an idiot. Like, <laughs> but you know, I I I tend to think that they are too big in that. 
anytime you try to just control, like, just think of the amount of information and all the rules that they have to deal with. Like, even writing the rule books each year. Like, for, because, you know, they do rally. They do sports cars. Yep. They do the lower series. They do Formula One. Yep. They do, I want to say they do rally, the rally cross rules, too. They may. Um, and just all sorts of stuff, right? The Pretty much the only thing that they don't govern is IMSA and IndyCar. Okay. So it's like, that's a lot. It's pretty yeah. much all the motorsport yeah. you see. NASCAR. They don't cover NASCAR. That's true. <laughs> I'm not even sure they know what NASCAR is, to be honest with you. No. Well, they will at Le Mans this year. They'll find out. Oh, yeah. I forgot the, about yeah, that the garage thing. 56 yeah, yeah. car. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't wait for that. God, I hope that thing wins, man. <laughs> it's never going to, but I, no. I just hope by some fluke circumstance that thing <laughs> makes it 24 hours with one fuel stop and yeah. no tire change. You see an, an amazing sight down the Mulsanne with... The hypercars and the NASCAR in the same space. NASCAR in tow and then passing. I wonder how quick it would be down the straights, actually. It's got to be fast, man. It's yeah. going to have a ton of horsepower. Sorry, go on. Before we get... Yeah. We're going to we're gonna move away. <laughs> I can sense it already. Yeah, we, we got to move on anyway. But I think I think that was an interesting conversation, though, because the FIA def- definitely does need to get their ruling straight. And we'll see what happens with this Ferrari thing. I have a feeling that they'll... Some people will be like, yeah, we think they need to fix it too. And then they'll they'll band together and bring it to the FIA and the FIA go, No. Do you do you, <laughs> do you not think that the FIA could just sit back and go, look, we're the governing body, but we deem these individuals for Formula One each race going forward to be our officials for that race. Would that not rectify the issue? Because now you're localizing the 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 officiating, right? Yeah, I just like, don't think they govern that way. I think they of course literally... They, they obviously don't. Yeah, they just look at it as, we are the FIA, and we decide, and we've already decided. I they get I, The FIA strikes me as stuck in the Bernie Eccleston era. Mm. No, we're right. Screw you guys. It's like... Yeah? Yeah, but we could fix this. We could make it better. Like, you can't tell me that since Bernie Eccleston has stopped owning F1 mm-hmm. that it hasn't gotten better. It's become maybe a little bit more showy, right? Definitely more but showy. It's, but it's moved in the right, like the racing's better. Yeah. The personalities overall, are better. Being able to interact with the drivers, like just simply talk, like the social media aspect yeah. of it. I'm still no fan of the uh, technical regulations as they are, but I would agree everything else has gotten better. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, and all it was is just him opening it up a little bit, or yeah. Liberty Media, rather. Yeah. Bernie Eccleston. Yeah. But, but we'll see. We'll see if the FIA will yeah. do a little bit of self-reflection and decide. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what we need to get better at this. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so the next topic, we actually talked a lot about that. I'm kind of surprised, but it's good. It was pretty interesting. Why are you surprised that we talked a lot about anything? <laughs> I don't. You know, it was pretty much solid. Just talking about the FIA and the rules, though. We only went off on one tangent at yeah. the end. Yeah, that's fair. So. Because I got ranty. You got me on a subject that I, I'm, I'm pretty keen on uh, getting grumpy about. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next thing uh, will probably be a little bit shorter. So we had indie testing uh, this past weekend. At the 500. Yeah, for the 500. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it. I saw it online or on TV. I, I didn't actually tune in. Um, yeah, I didn't really look into it too much. I mean, it's just testing. Yeah, I've watched it before. You think it's going to be exciting? It's just testing. There's nothing. <laughs> it's literally just testing. I mean, unless you're a part of the team and you're like, okay, these are the changes that we're making, guys. Yeah. It's, it's so dull. The only interesting... I feel terrible for the commentators. Oh, they they have commentators? I They televise that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
It's yeah. not like just a live stream. Like they have people talking about no, what's I going on. I mean, maybe it's not for the entirety of it, but I have tuned in. I didn't tune in this year. I have tuned in in previous years. There has been somebody talking over it, and you're just like, dude. Yeah, that's, it's like it's like when that's F- a good. You got to be a good announcer. Well, it's like when F one has to cover practice, right? Yeah. Like, why are they announcing practice? What <laughs> are we doing here? Like, I. Uh, it's true, but uh, I think the only interesting stuff is that uh, the changes essentially to the car, so they have some new aero options. And new, teams new as of last year or new as of new as of this year, Delara has included some optional aero bits that the teams can use if they want. Okay. Um. Because there's always a different aero package for IndyCar from their stand, or excuse me, for Indy, the, the Indy 500, yeah, yeah, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. than there is from their standard road courses. Yeah. So they have that different aero package, and then this year they uh, the changes specifically are they have a little bit more rear wing angle that they can adjust and that they can set. Okay. Uh, I think it, it's like it was like three degrees before. Now they can go up to nine. But that's significant. Yeah, but then. The people uh, running Indy were like, yeah, but you can only actually move it up to like five or six. We're not going to let you go all the way to nine, <laughs> which I'm guessing is like we don't want drastic changes that we can't predict what will happen. Well, yeah, I would say, I mean, one of the most dangerous things you can have on an oval of any sort is going to be a difference in speed. So if you've got somebody that can only hit, you know, they, let's say they max out at yeah, somebody's two, like 201 and somebody maxes out at 235, it's like yeah. that's a that's a, that's a big problem. difference. Yeah, also, we can't also, do that. If that happened at Indy, like, you're going nowhere. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. But then again, if you're doing 201 flat the whole lap or True. whatever. I'd, sure, he's you just know. passing everybody in you're, the corners. Yeah, and then exactly. Just, it's, on the straight, he just goes to the left side of the track. He's like, bye, I'll see yeah, you in the corner. Yeah, I'll see you in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, they got some new aero bits, rear wing, uh, gurney flaps, uh, and then some floor pieces. Gur- where, the, where do they put gurney flaps? They basically put it on... I'm trying to think of how to describe this. Near the rear wheels. Like, you know, this little side pod? Yeah. Right before the rear, rear wheel? Okay. I'm pretty sure it's in that area. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then... Um, I just I, I would never have fathomed there was anywhere to put a gurney flap on an IndyCar. Yeah, there really isn't, other than that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially considering they don't generally roll. What do you mean? Well, that's... No, the gurney flaps for downforce. If I mistake, I may be mistaken. You're thinking of like the holes, like you hit. We have on. No, I'm thinking of. Is, was it not the gurney flaps on the top of the NASCARs that stopped them from rolling? No, no, gurney flap is like literally. Uh, it's literally imagine like you have a rear wing, like a GT3 Porsche. Okay. If you go look at all those IMSA cars, you will see a little gurney flap on those wings. It's literally like a 90 degree angle at the very edge of the rear of the wing that sticks up. Okay. And it has an aerodynamic. It's obviously named a gurney flap because of Dan Gurney. Yeah. And it boosts the performance of the wing. Okay. All right. I'm mistaken then. What What do they call it? You know what I'm talking I about. I know what That's you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know what they're called, I, though. For whatever reason, my brain wanted to connect that. To, I, so this, now you understand my immediate yeah, confusion. Yeah. I'm like, where do you put <laughs> that flap? That'd, on that'd be pretty cool if they could somehow design those for IndyCar. I, I, yeah, but I can't fathom why you would need to. It's never, yeah. No IndyCar has gone sideways on tarmac and then rolled over. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of the, the stuff you're thinking of is the same reason we have like the holes on the uh, sports cars, the prototypes. Is that what the, that's for? Above the tires, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. So you don't do Mark Webbers. I had no idea that's what that was for. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. As far as I know. Okay. Um, 
But oh, uh, not, I, I'll, I'll pull full FIA here. I won't. <laughs> I won't look into it. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, they got some new floor pieces uh, up in the the front of the board or the uh, not board. I was thinking barge board. It's not a barge board. It's the keel of what would be the keel on like an F1 car. Okay. There's some little turning vanes there. And then they have these things that were referred to as stability gurneys, which I thought was kind of interesting. I've never heard that term. And so this, that's that seems to be a regular theme when it comes to IndyCar, not, not having ever heard that term, <laughs> and then they decide to use it. Yeah, but it's weird because it's nothing like a gurney flap. But they are do you you've seen pictures of the new Ferrari four nine nine uh hypercar, right? Not offhand, no. Okay. No. I've been super out of the <laughs> modern So it's road got cars. like little you know the BMW CSL Batmobile? Yeah. You know on the hood it has those like vertical Yep. I know exactly I, what you're talking yeah, about. Yes. I wanna say I don't want to say stabilizers, it's little vertical pieces. Yeah. On the sides of the hood. So the Ferrari kind of has those. Okay. And these stability gurneys, as they're called, are essentially kind of like those on the... They look more like the ones on the Ferrari hypercar, but they're on the Indy cars. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So I was like, I wonder what they're doing. They're becoming more popular now. And even just vertical veins in general, mm-hmm. I've noticed, like, if you look at the Porsches, the Cadillacs, they all have vertical veins um, or pieces... Around well, the I mean, intakes, we, we saw it most significantly in when Porsche and Audi were competing regularly in LMP in back in what twenty ten or whatever that was, mm-hmm. and we first saw the the what looks approximately like the current mo- prototypes. Yeah, and you had that very large shark fin essentially behind yeah. there. Yeah. that's the whole this exact same logic behind it. Yeah, I would have to. Those imagine. are just much larger. These are yeah. like very small, and so it's really interesting because you look at you go. I wonder how much stability that would really give you. It's got to do something. I mean, they're yeah. Those engineers don't just slap stuff on the car. Yeah, that's not a. The the only thing I can think of is that it would like prevent the air, at least a little bit, from like shearing, if that makes sense. Like it keeps it yeah. going the same direction on the bodywork instead of moving over to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. But um, I I would be curious as to how that affects like a. Uh, a crosswind or how that is affected by a crosswind or something like that. Cause yeah, cause I mean, just I, I'm trying to think like sailing, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's very important to, uh, to adjust your sails with yeah. the wind. Right. So if all of a sudden you're entering a corner now and you have this large plane now, granted you said it's small, but yeah. still it's a vertical plane that is yeah, perpendicular to where the wind may be coming in. How much of an effect does that have on the nose or the tail, wherever they happen to be located on the vehicle yeah yeah i'd have to show you a picture because they're, they're actually quite small and it's almost like just looks like stripes but it doesn't take much yeah but i mean that's that's my thinking is like any any given thing can create an issue it can upset yeah. the car it probably just makes the arrow more consistent so you don't have the load changing all the time um but they say basically all these changes if they were to use all of them the cars would gain about 250 pounds more downforce that's insane which is significant especially considering this is the indy 500 aero package which yeah. is just like as streamlined as possible right so that's pretty interesting it's it'll be interesting to see what teams go for I'll, well although, that's what i was going to say is i think you're going to start to see different teams doing different things for once which is a very nice idea yeah it'd be cool to to see them on tv kind of talk about that too maybe they'll talk about that in qualifying 
Um, cause I feel like these would be hard to spot, um, otherwise. Cause sometimes, you know, when you watch Formula One, you can see the difference in the cars. Like if you look at Monza, you'll be like, they have no rear wing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then exactly. you look at Monaco and the rear wings like huge, you know? Yep. Uh, so you can actually spot the difference. Although with this, you probably won't, but you can, pretty you, interesting. you can, you can spot the overall aero package very obviously though, when they go from oval to, to road course. Yes. Yeah. In IndyCar. Like it, sure. it doesn't even look like the same car. No, completely different wings. Uh, totally streamlined. And I think they look pretty good in the Indy configuration, although a little bit. They look uh, they look weird, but they look good. I mean, yeah, they, they look. Like, good. They look. Different. I would. The 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 rear wing is so disproportionately small. That's the dainty. problem. Yeah, yeah. They look. You'd, you'd almost rather them go down the like the Renault prototype, like that Renault hypercar route, where the the wing yeah, is no almost wing. yeah pretty much non-existent, and then come up with some other way to create the downforce, right? Yeah. The, whether it's floor or whatever you name it. Yeah. That would that would be a cool way to do it because if all of a sudden you're running Indy cars with no wing on I for the Indy 500, that would be awesome. I do think that would really be really awesome. cool looking. Yeah, I think that's the future of uh, open wheel. But so so the future is the past. The future is the past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, for no other reason than people will just go. I just don't like the look of these wings yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, oh. but that's that's been a lot of the reason for many innovations. I don't like this. Yeah, I mean, it's like that adage, it's, if it looks good, it is probably is actually pretty good. Yeah. You know, yep. things tend to look natu- natural. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, although, it was really confusing. I saw, like, on Indy's social media, or uh, it's also confusing to say Indy. And then I was like, wait, I'm not talking. Okay, got yeah, no, myself. yeah, it, I, I totally, <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah, but um, I saw pictures from Indianapolis, and I was like, Wait, they're not racing there this weekend. I was like, did I get this schedule wrong again? No, it's a month of testing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's but a, I mean, it's a it, it's crazy in the sense that what do you possibly need a month of testing for? But it's also awesome in the sense that you can sit back and go, this is how important this race is to this series. Well, it's like Lamar. Lamar, they I test mean, like two weeks before the actual yeah, race. I, to, to be honest with you, like it's not a more significant race than Lamar. Yeah, I don't put anything above Lamar, but for a lot of people across the world, Indy Five Hundred is just infinitely larger than Lamar. Yeah, and and like proper racing fans, people that follow a lot of racing, Indy Five Hundred is still as big as it gets. I understand. It's, so to have a month of racing or a month of preparation is a good way for them to kind of put on display. Like, look, this is. This is a big deal, guys. This is something that's really, really, really important to us. I think they do convey that in the the TV coverage, though, in the way they. Oh, they do. Oh, it's yeah. a it is a show. It's man. a full on, yeah. Exactly. It's a show. But I guess in fairness, in the, in the best American way, it's a yes. show. I will say the uh, the flyby. I want to say it was twenty twenty one. Um, they had an F sixteen. And an A10 do the flyby. Yeah, I I remember that vaguely. Yeah. But then they came back around, and they essentially did like a lap at the track, and you know, which for the F16 was like hauling and pulling, pulling G's, and the A10, you know, just doing its thing. And then at the end of that, the F16 pulls this tight turn and goes like near vertical, and the A10 
I don't know if he did anything cool after that, but you know he couldn't. It it's not as impressive. It, it didn't go as an near F-16. vertical, did yeah. it? <laughs> it could have, but it just wouldn't have had the same effect. But uh, it was really cool to see that though, because I guarantee most people at that uh, race have never seen anything like that. Yeah, and so they must have been like just freaking out, and that, the atmosphere did, of that oh, would have been amazing. Just I, to and, and that's the thing is like, I, I, obviously, as an American, I'm gonna love this, but yeah, I. The Daytona 500 does this as well. There is something special about the atmosphere, about the theatrics. Even Coda sort of does this for F1, mm-hmm. or did. They yeah. now that we'll see with Miami now if that kind of fades a little bit. Yeah. But just embracing the "we are better than you at everything" type <laughs> of attitude, whether it's right or wrong, I love it. I am so for it. I remember listening to a Formula One podcast a long time ago. And they were talking about when Coda was in its early days. And they're like, we love the fact that not only did America decide we're going to have an F1 race. They decided we're going to do it bigger and better than everybody else. And we're going to stick in our biggest and most badass state we got in Texas and just shove it down your throat. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're going to have concerts. We're going to have fireworks. And everybody else is like, guys, this is an F1 race. But, like that's the thing is that's the been the American way and that's what makes the Indy 500 yeah. or at least a very large portion of it. Obviously, the race is the the centerpiece, of course. Yeah. But that kind of theatrics is what makes it so special. I, and, I'm, and I'm all for a month of preparation. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm all for the excess when it comes to American events as well. And you just can't beat a flyover, also. And uh, I love. I'll literally watch flyover compilations on youtube oh really okay yeah and uh <laughs> i just love it there's sometimes you know they'll fly like a b2 and uh you'll see in the comments people are like really do you guys really need to fly a two billion dollar plane you know probably cost this much to do blah blah you should be like shut up yes get two <laughs> next <laughs> the year. answer is yes yes we do need to do it yes and we're <laughs> flying two next year <laughs> <laughs> And I, I don't know. I feel like you'll only understand that if you're American. Oh yeah. <laughs> or or if no, if you embrace American culture. I mean, there's, yeah. there's yeah, no way around true. it. Like there's just there's once people sort of figure out, it's like that's just look, folks. That's how we do it. Yeah. It's just how it's done here. <laughs> and uh, that's why everyone around the world hates us. Yeah. And and you know what? Whatever. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. It's awesome. I have some expletives that I can tell that I could say very easily about how I feel about the rest of the world. Yeah. Looking at I, us that way. Uh, you got that a little bit at uh, Sebring, actually, because um, for the WEC race, even, we got a C-130 uh, Coast Guard flyover. Okay. So that was kind of cool. Um, although. <laughs> Generic day in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because I heard, I could hear, you know, there were a lot of Europeans that came to watch the, the WEC race. And I could even hear people like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, like, that was like a Coast Guard plane. I'm just like, and, you know, coming off like, uh, I want I don't remember if I went to an, no, air shows come after Sebring. But uh, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, man, you guys ain't seen nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> this, this ain't, like, we could, every time I go uh, to one of these races, I'm in the back of my head, I'm like, please let it be like the, the Thunderbirds or like uh, an I would love an F-22 flyover for something like that, yeah. you know? But, yeah, it's probably... They, they don't hold back for Indy, and they don't hold back for Daytona. Yeah. Those are the, you know, two, you the can, two races per year that they they really... They they let it all loose, yeah. generally. 
you know, you can go on, uh, like, uh, I don't know if it's the Air Force's website in general or just, like, the Air Base's website. Like, if you want to have an F-20 or a F-16 flyover, like, there's a form you can fill out to request the flyover and really? everything. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine that's cheap, though. Oh, I mean, you got to be well, forking out money. Well, I think... That's the coolest thing. Like I, I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but like something like an F twenty two is like uh, forty thousand an hour. So like, and that's what it costs to run yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's not like they're taking a hit on it either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're gonna make some money <laughs> off of it. It's the government. They love yeah. doing that. No, it's well, and that's just the best thing too. It's and it's not. It doesn't just restrict to racing either. It's like, dude, the amount of like college football events. And college football is a full-on religion if you're not yeah. a part. Like, if you don't understand it, it's because you're not a part of the religion. Yeah. Dude, flat, like a full-on 100-yard by 50-yard flag across the field. Yep, yep. And then five, whatever, F-16s, yep. f eighteen, you name it, whatever the hell they were going to decide to fly that day, go ripping over, and you're like, this is just Saturday, by the way. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this isn't the Super Bowl. This is just like, you know, we're just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so cool. Well, some of the best ones I've seen, and I think this is a trend that they're starting to do more, is that they're actually going, like, afterburner over the stadium yeah. or at, like, high speed instead yeah. of just, like, the slow whistle. You I, get the I full think it's because everybody effect. went, guys, we don't want you to be quiet. Like, <laughs> go on. Because uh, we're not going to be. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best ones I've seen is a pair of F-15s doing a really low flyover at one of those games. Oh, really? And they just, like, nail the timing and you know it's like a cell phone video and so they see him coming on the you know the big screen yeah and then all of a sudden whoo, and you just see afterburner because it was a night thing yeah. and uh you know the noise and everything Three everybody's freaking later. out <laughs> and the timing was perfect and you're just like whoa yeah <laughs> and then the the best one ever that i've seen is a b2 flyover and it was like a dark night and there was like smoke in the air it was fog or something from the fireworks and you just see the B-2 come over this fog just out of nowhere, and you're just like, that just looks sinister. <laughs> it's Can you, so cool. I mean, does it does it have the same sort of sound that the the F-Series, if you will? Well, it's, pow- it's powered what? by four F-18 engines. Okay, so so, so it's going to be the same kind of animal. Yeah, ju- they're just not afterburning. Okay. So, yeah. But it just looks freaking cool. I have oh, not seen some, one yeah. myself, but like that video is awesome. Yeah, I've, sadly, I've never seen one in person. Yeah. There's no, gonna be one I take that back. I have seen one in person. I've never seen an really? SR-71. Yeah. Well, there's no chance of seeing that. Yeah, unfortunately, at this around. point, yeah. There's some F-117 still flying around. Are they going to ever, you think they'll ever do an air show with an SR-71? No. It's like a, no. No. Definitely not. I mean, the the engineering behind it is just insane. Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't read a lot of books, but. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a way to start a statement. <laughs> I was like, how should I say this? Um, I like learning things, but I just don't get around to re- like finishing books. Yeah. I read this really detailed book on the SR-71. Right. It was awesome. I love reading nonfiction, really dry, I'm, I am not just a, information. Dude, I am not a plain guy. Yeah. Like, just not at all. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't make a difference to me. I have watched endless videos on the sr-71 because it is just insane like from an engineer so i'm a big engineering guy right like i want breakdowns i want to understand the details 
that thing is just what? Like it's wild, man. Yeah. And like what they did with it. When? When yeah, is it when. really the when important. is a huge part? Yes. Yeah. And because uh, what it flew its first flight in fifty. It was uh, either late fifties right? or early sixties. I don't remember exactly it's off the top of my head. I thought it started development in the forties. Did no, it not? Started development in the fifties. It was before very computers. early fifties. Uh, I don't know exactly. Like I, I'd have to go back and reference, but uh, but <laughs> part of the reason why I'm just like, yeah, we're not flying those again, is like, it's sort of the same reason they canceled them. It's like it took a whole crew. You need special fuel. You need special everything. Special material for yeah. the entire body. The start yeah. cart was a Buick uh, V8 engine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't. Awesome, awesome plane. Definitely not going to fly those again. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so. That, we're not talking about planes anymore. Yeah. Anyway, we got there from Indy, so that's all the Indy stuff. Um, now, because, because America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Must blah blah blah. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to chat about was supposedly the WC is getting so many people or so much interest in the GT3 category, the LM GT3 category, that they are considering uh, limiting. Uh, each manufacturer to two entries, so which no no privateers or it's the way it was. This is just like a preliminary idea that they sort of threw out there. But basically, they were like, "Well, we're having so many entries that we, but we still want to have a diversity of the field that we're thinking about, like making it so that there's only two Porsches, two Lamborghinis, two Ferraris." And when I read that, I was like, "Part of me loves this." And part of me really hates it. Yeah, because it, it does make it entirely exclusive to then the manufacturer. Because it sounds like what you're doing is essentially taking privateers out of GT3. Yeah, it's like they would, but then they're like, no, well, it'd still be privateers, but the manufacturers would choose the privateers. And you're like, well, yeah, but then it's at not manufacturer. Yeah, it's basically just the manufacturers, you know? But which I kind of like now, the idea. So of? that's what I was going to go. Like, is, but so I don't it, like the idea of limiting people that could totally do it and they want to do it. You well, know? so here's the thing. The way I, the, my, my initial thought now, like, immediate thought. If you're going to sit back and say, okay, manufacturers, you need to choose a privateer team in order to run your car in GT3, fine with that, so long as that manufacturer has a hypercar. Mm-hmm. Because if we're going to sit back now and we're going to say, all right, look, Lamborghini's involved, Cadillac's involved, Porsche's involved, Toyota's involved, all these guys are involved in yeah. hypercar, right? Yeah. You got privateer teams that can run your GT3 cars. You guys don't need to be involved. Allow whatever, Flying Lizard, to take care of your 911. That's fine. You guys support them with what you need to support them with. Whatever. We're done here. Yeah. You focus on your hypercar. You also still get the victory in 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 GT3 along yeah. with the team, right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. but at the end of the day, Flying Lizard Porsche or Flying Lizard whatever got the victory in GT3. Also, Porsche, Lamborghini, Cadillac, whatever got the hypercar victory. Yeah, I'm good with that. It, it's interesting you say that because that's sort of what was said to some extent, where they were basically like, "But we also want to take care of the manufacturers." who have been loyal to the WEC and who are participating in hypercar. Yeah. 
And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I, I like pushing manufacturers up, right? Like, yeah. Corvette should be developing a hypercar. Why is Corvette not developing a hypercar? Because they're weird and they choose to do it with Cadillac instead of Chevy. Well, yes, that, I yeah. guess that's sort of true. Um, so maybe a bad example. But my, my thought process before you had made that connection was yeah. you're sitting there at GT3 with a Corvette. Like, go for higher goals, right? Yeah. Like, why are you sitting here? Mm-hmm. They did it in the past with GTP stuff. They did, yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be interesting to, to see them... But see where that goes. I part part of the reason they even brought this up too is because they were saying they would have so many entries that the uh, the garage space at some of the circuits just wouldn't be enough. And especially when you consider, so you've got what six or seven uh, hypercars this year, right? Yeah. And next year there's well, going to be six or seven manufacturers, right? Yeah, Not six or seven hypercars. Yeah, because well, some of them are running too. Ta- yeah, yeah, you're talking about anywhere from twelve to fourteen hypercars. Yeah, and so next year, Alpine, Lamborghini, and BMW are also going to be running hypercars, which is yeah. For, but I, for I the gotta, fan right I now, got, it's like amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. But I also got a feeling some of these guys are going to drop off. Some of these, what is Van Van? Wall yeah, like or Van Wall. Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah. I mean, come on how how many years in a row can you do this? I, I think unless they uh, find a ton of performance and reliability, I think they'll look at it and be like, guys, look, we picked a bad time to jump on this bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Every major manufacturer just stepped up yeah. and uh, threw their hat in the ring. Should have um, done this four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or at least got the development done in that time, and then you're competitive yeah. you know, now. But, um, yeah, I do feel bad for them because I like the idea of them just going for it. But, yeah, just bad timing. Oh, for sure. I, well, but, I mean, we, we sit back and we say, okay, we like the idea of privateer teams getting involved in, in hypercar. Yeah. Do we really? Or do we just like the idea of more manufacturers getting involved? Because in, in reality, the way I see it is like, okay, yeah, I like the idea of somebody like Van Wall getting involved. Yeah. But would I trade them for the Lamborghini getting involved? Hell no. Yeah. No, absolutely I wouldn't. So yeah. if all of a sudden Lamborghini gets involved and then Van Wall goes, all right, we'll run your privateer team in GT3. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up. Like yeah. that type of stuff I can get behind. Yeah. And so I think I get it. I get what they're pushing towards. Yeah, and I personally, I, <clears throat> I definitely prefer manufacturers to privateers, just because it's more exciting to me as a fan. Um, I understand. I don't. It I sucks because I don't want to be that person to be like, I don't care about you guys racing because that's not really true. There's all sorts of privateer teams that I think are awesome. Yeah, but I just get more excited about manufacturers. You know, that's just the the fact of it. Well, uh, we've said it multiple episodes in a row now it it's it's your team it's your brand allegiance that you have a tendency to root for if you own a honda you're going to root for honda if you own a porsche you're going to root for porsche generally speaking so if, if all of a sudden you don't have you they may be driving a porsche but the team is labeled under joeschmo.com version 8 no one no one's rooting for joeschmo.com version 8 they're rooting for oh that's porsche right yeah that's just how human nature works. That's how we've been just bred to follow teams, to follow allegiances, right? Like, this is yeah. really important. So, I don't have a – because private – that's the thing is privateer teams come and go. Like, yeah. you can, even the best privateer teams are not there year and, in and year out over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think, as shallow as this may seem, I think the popularity of – 
a privateer team is almost wholly dependent on their livery. Livery and driver personality. Yep, and team personality. Because if you think about, uh, in the past, like iconic IMSA cars, right? You think of all the 962s and stuff, and or uh, Group C in general, mm-hmm. and you're thinking of like Jägermeister 962s, yeah. the Leighton House cars. Yep. There was there they weren't Porsche entries, you know. Yeah. But they were awesome cars with awesome liveries, yep. you know, and they became iconic. Right. And I think you'll see that with some modern cars, like the Faf car with their plaid mm-hmm. livery. You know, that'll be iconic for yeah. sure. Um, but you know, you have some of the teams that are just like, all right, we're just gonna take this uh, Spec Miata livery and just put it on our GT3 car, and you're like, right. It's the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. But um. Yeah, it's a really interesting problem that they have, especially considering like a couple years ago, I remember thinking to myself like, "What is, what is, what is the WC right now?" Because there's like nothing going on, and now it's just like well, blowing stopped, up. You stopped asking that. I, well, <laughs> at least there's a bunch of stuff going <laughs> yeah, on now. There's there there are entries now. All yeah. Of a sudden, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, pretty interesting problem to have. Um, yeah. Uh, it see. it it is it is. It is interesting. I mean, I'd like, I don't want to diminish what's going on by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's something important to sit back and go, look, it's headed the right direction if all of a sudden you're telling people you can't enter. That's that's the right way to be going. That's what they should be doing. How they conduct themselves is a different story, so we'll find out. But I, I think, yeah, I can, I can I, I get think- behind... I can get behind at least that they're starting to figure it out and they've got people involved. Yeah, I think as long as they aren't too heavy-handed and play like favorites, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you made they a would, face. They would never do that. <laughs> they would never, ever make sure that some other team likely wins the race Yeah, with some sort of ruling or <coughs> balanced performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. No, never done that before. Sorry, go on. I got a weird cough going. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. <coughs> B.O.P. Very strange. <sighs> <laughs> um, so that's all the, the stuff I wanted to, or at least the stuff I had scheduled to talk about. Yeah. Uh, from here, I did a Q&A on Ooh. Instagram. Okay. To see what kind of questions we got. So what we got? So uh, we got a few questions here. Oh first boy. one, I'll just mention the first name and then... Uh, the question okay so first one is and i will say most of them are photography focused which i didn't expect that's pretty cool yeah so you're gonna be answering most of them most of them okay because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not doing anything <laughs> so the first one is from katie it is for events like races uh shows etc when do you start editing and posting photos so it depends on the event and what you're doing uh, and when a client would need the photos or whatever their needs are, basically. But I would say generally, like, for the kinds of events, like uh, like an IMSA race or something, those guys are essentially shooting. And also, they're getting there and shooting for, like, four days. Mm-hmm. And typically, they're probably going to get most of what they need in the first couple days. And they're going to have a bunch of stuff queued up, basically. So whoever's running their client's social media or needs those access to those photos probably already has a pool that they can pull from. Uh, 
but more specifically, uh, let's see, so when do you start editing? So it's pretty much immediately. <laughs> you pretty much grab some photos, and the way I did it uh, was you use whatever time you have available that's free to you to do so to go sort and edit. And that's pretty much how it goes. If you're not shooting, you're editing. So that's that's what I was going to say is is to kind of expand on her question is how does it differ if you have a client or you don't have a client? So you're you're somebody like Yeah, if you're just shooting for fun? Yeah, if you're just sort of well, not even necessarily shooting for fun. So somebody could be in a circumstance where they're shooting freelance photography but they don't have a client yet, right? Yeah. So you may be going and at least my assumption is you're going and stockpiling as many photos as you can possibly get, and then you're going home to edit. Like you know, yeah. how how does it differ if you if you're on a timeline, you're working for a team, right? Yeah. All right, you're doing team photography versus all right, I am going to be a photographer. I'm going to this event. I want to post a bunch of photos. I want to make sure that we're moving forward with my theoretical business eventually. Yeah. How, how do those two differ? How do they balance, right? Because you could, like, everybody understands, all right, random ass Joe Schmo, like, I bring a camera to an event. I'd go take photos. Guess what I do? I go home and I go, that's crap, that's crap, that's crap. That's good. I'll post that. I, there is no editing, right? Yeah. Then you have someone like you who's full-on professional doing stuff for teams, doing whatever, right? You're going to have some sort of deadline. And then there's something in between the two of us that is going to be very different uh, it just depends what you're trying to do. It's like like when I'm shooting for myself and I'm just posting Instagram for marketing, basically, uh, I take a ton of time to make sure the photo is as good as possible okay. before I post it. And so I'll come back home, spend a bunch of time sorting, spend a bunch of time editing to make it as good as possible. Whereas if you're shooting for someone else, they just need they need the utility in the photo. That's funny because it, what, it, what it almost sounds like and Feel free to defer to answer this question, if you will. Yep. But when it's for... I'm trying to phrase this without it sounding I, bad. I think I know where you're going. When it's for your personal gain, you're yep. taking your time to ensure that it's very, very good. Yes. When it's for the masses, it's just a utilitarian approach. Pump there, out as much as possible. There are other priorities and considerations to take into account. Okay. And... That's why I well think, answered, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why I say basically, if you're not shooting, you're editing. Okay. Which I, you know, especially for like a race event because you're taking so many pictures. Um, you know, it, and is that you, would you say that's the case? If it so long as your photos mean anything to the public, that's the case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, guys in like Formula One, um, they'll even have a way to transmit their photos from the camera to a computer with somebody behind it who's picking stuff out and editing it and sending it off to whoever needs it. Like, Formula One photos are up instantly. Okay. Like, they'll have someone there. They put on a preset. They'll crop it really quick. Done. They're moving on to the next one. Um, and that's why you can go on some news site, and it's like, bam, they already have pictures from the race that just ended. Okay. It's because somebody just sent saying, those yeah. immediately over to them. Okay. Uh, and there's also, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, agencies that do that kind of thing, too. I so there's, you. like, agencies that focus on motorsport. They have photographers. Those photographers give stuff to the agency. The agency does all, like, 
the networking and communication sending stuff blah 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 okay but uh but yeah if you're like working for a team or uh you know some photographers will work for drivers or particular people it just depends on their needs and whatever they need you have to figure out the best way to deliver that product okay which is could be different every time um you know uh most of my experience was shooting for a company where you know we didn't really need to turn stuff around instantly but i still tried to get it done that same day and so it wasn't the same time constraint um but you still had to go through stuff you know pretty quick yeah uh but i also just didn't uh shoot as many pictures in that particular case also so um so yeah it definitely depends and i think generally uh if you're not uh Sorry, I think that's the phone when I get close to the microphone because I'm reading off the phone. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, if you're not uh, shooting, you're editing. That's the, the best way to think okay. about it. And I think that's the best way to do it because, like, any opportunity you get to, like, sort and edit, you got to do it. Yeah. Just try and stay ahead of it. Otherwise, you'll you'll be so far behind. So, essentially, when you what, what, what you're saying is when you're at the event, you're working. Yes. No matter what, you are working. All the time. Lunch, eating lunch, you're sorting through stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, I think if you're really into it, it's fun because it's like, I don't I don't know how to describe that. It's intense, I guess, but in a good way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, busy work is still work, which is still fun. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of it, you just go, yeah, that yeah. was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's rewarding. So. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh Second part of that question is how do you balance event coverage while also getting out live content? <sighs> kind of touched on that a little bit. A little bit. The uh, the short answer is you don't. You do- I was going <laughs> to I was literally going to say you don't. Um, yeah, anybody who's worked like the back end of an event or and like not just photography, like anybody who's worked an event, you're not really there. You're just doing your job at that place. Oh, 100%. You know? Um, I think a lot of people will be like, oh, it must be a great gig. You just show up and, you know, you just watch the race like one of the marshals or something. And it's like, no, they're not watching the race. No, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not aware a job. of what's going on. Yeah. So, but uh, the reason that's relevant is like you can't just shoot everything because, like I said, you have to go back and edit usually. Um, and even if you try to shoot everything, it's still pretty difficult logistically to make that happen and be at the right place at the right time for every single part of the event. Uh, And that's the hardest part, I think, is, you know, if you're out there shooting and you're like, okay, I've got an hour until the next session where I need to shoot again. So I should go back and edit. But you're a 10-minute walk from the center to edit where you can't edit. And then so you think, okay, well, the next session's at this time. And for that session, I've shot in all these places, so I want to go to that location. So that's going to take me 15 minutes to walk to. So really, I've got, you know, half an hour once I get all my stuff set up to actually go through these things, pick out what I need, and maybe do a couple edits. You know, figuring all that out, I think, is the hardest part. And how you balance it is just like, I don't think you really do. You just do as much as you possibly can. Yeah, It isn't really a proper... There's, there's not a whole lot of scheduling, is there? I mean, it's like to some extent, it like you're no, ske- you're scheduling in the sense that you're aware of what's going on around you, but you can't schedule in the fact that 
I'm going to take X amount of photos at this location. No, then no, I'm going no. here, and then I'm doing this. It's like I, I've never tried get that. The right photo. I've tried that so many times, and I'm in my head. I'm like, I should get more organized, and I try something like that, but it doesn't work. It's too dynamic. You know, you might go out there for that session, and whoever you're shooting for, they don't go out, and you're like. Well, that threw a wrench in my plans because I needed this location and it was the last location on the inside of the track and then I was going to transition to the outside of the track. But now the next session, I have to start at the inside, waste a bunch of time walking to the outside or do I just skip this location and go to the outside? That's that's where a lot of the difficulty is, I think. Of course. That's when you get to the point where it's like the actual act of taking the photos is like the easy fun part <laughs> and everything yeah. else is the hard part. Yeah. So well, and, I, and I've been around you enough at a, enough of these events to see what you do when you're taking photos <coughs> at the event. You are not embracing the event there. You are in full on work mode. Like that, you are bringing in some of it. Yeah, but for the most part, everything you see is through the lens, which is a different perspective yeah. to some extent. But the actual whole encompassing event the whole like the aura that is whatever the 12 hour if you want to go photo that photograph that it's you miss that because everything's going through your lens yeah i think that's true and but i also think that's a good litmus test for if you want to be a photographer or not could be because i i very quickly learned that i had no interest in doing photography if that bothers you drives me nuts it's not for you because for me I'm the opposite. I can't watch it without taking the photos. I would, I would go like crazy because I'm like, it I need to like capture a, this. Well, that's so. Is it almost like a uh, what the hell's those things that were really popular for a while? The fidget spinner. Fidget spinner, right? Is your camera almost like a fidget spinner going around the track? Like, I need to do something. Like, not it's in a, a negative way. It's an way. interesting way to think about it, but but a little bit, yeah. It, it's or, like I'm not, I'm not doing enough right now. I'm yeah. not a, like I, I don't like I look at stuff. If I see something really cool happen in front of me, yeah. let's see I like I see the the lighting's really nice. I can understand missed opportunities. Yeah, and a car goes past and it like s- bottoms out and s- makes this really cool spark pattern. Yeah. I feel pain that I didn't have the camera in my hand. Okay. When I see like I feel like most so photographers I, like, can relate. Don't even doesn't even process in my Yeah, I I've been driving with Katie so many times and I'll just get like mad at the sunset because it's epic. And I'm just like Look at that sunset. It's amazing. And I'm not taking any pictures of anything with that sunset. It's, like, irritating. So it's kind of like that. It's it's funny because, like, so as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, my wife's a photographer. And she will regularly just whip out her camera to take it. Like, we have a newborn in the house. So yeah. <laughs> she'll wait, regularly take out her camera to record a moment or take a picture of a moment. And I'm just like, didn't, didn't even think to do that. And I was, the other day, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if she's like concerned that I have never taken like a video or a photo <laughs> of her with a kid. Like, what's like? I feel like I'm not holding up my end of the bargain, and I don't know if that's because she's a photographer and that's just her nature, or if that. Like, I, I would say no because <laughs> I'm the opposite. When like, if you saw the pictures on my phone, yeah. you'd be like, "Dude, I thought you were a photographer. What is this crap?" I take terrible phone pictures, and I'm also the well, last person to pull my phone out. I, I understand, but when it, like she pulls out her proper, yeah, like camera, right? Yeah. So but I'm saying in those moments, it doesn't even cross my mind to take my like proper camera out. Okay. So, 
But uh, are you like deeply uncomfortable with somebody photographing you in the moment? Because you're like not it. behind the lens. I'd be okay with it if I didn't know about it. Yeah. Like if I saw the picture, I'd be like, oh, cool, that's a cool shot. Yeah. But if I knew they were there, I'd be like, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah okay. Well, that's, I think that's just natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I am. Yeah. But um, I've gotten more comfortable with it because I have to deal with it. Yeah. But it, I, I, initially, I was not keen on the idea of being photo- uh, photographed regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are people are different, man. Like, I've tried to focus on taking pictures of people more, but I feel like I'm generally like kind of an awkward person, especially with people I don't know. Maybe so, not so much with people I do know, uh, but you know, if you're working for random clients, like. There's just a bunch of people you don't know, and yeah. you're sticking a camera in their face. So I got I got a question for you before we move on to the next one. Yeah. How often have you been, because I know there's obviously liability issues with it. Yeah. But how often have you been at an event? Sebring's probably a very good example because the crowd is so unique, so dynamic. Mm-hmm. How often have you been at an event where you're like, I need to take photos of that group of individuals observing the race? Like, you're now not taking photos of the race. You're taking photos of the atmosphere. Is that a thing? Is that something you do? I know you, there's probably some liability issues. You got to go talk to those people. Say, hey, can I use your your face I, in this? But no, no, not really. Okay. I mean, technically, yeah. Do people like you're on. gonna let, have let, someone let me in... say this the right way? Okay. Technically, you should probably figure out if that's a big deal or not. The reality is, it's like probably not though. No, I mean like. I don't mean going and asking them. Yeah. I mean, are you specifically just seeing that moment that, like, yeah, absolutely. do you look at a group of people and go, that's better than what's happening on the track. Let me get oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And and although that's something more recently that it's, it's a skill that I'm trying to improve upon, and I, I've gotten better at it the past year, whereas before I hated it. Didn't even like the idea okay. of doing it. All right. Because I just, I hated pointing a camera at people. Um I was just so, I just cared about the cars. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that in order to tell the story of the cars even, you have to include everything. Mm -hmm. You cannot just take pictures of the cars. Or if it's planes, you cannot just take pictures of the planes. The best photos that I think I've taken now are ones that are not just the subject. Well, they're context laden. Exactly. Yeah. They tell a story more so than just like, look at this cool object. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really, really, really hard skill to learn, at least for me, because I have an issue where when I'm at an event and I'm looking at the scene in front of me, I just go, yeah, like it just looks like the scene in front of me mm-hmm. versus later you look at it and you go, that's a cool scene. Yeah. It just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't have that feeling in the moment where you think I should capture that. I, th- I, I think that's something that makes some of the best photographers in the world make what that's what makes them great like somebody like larry chen right mm-hmm. has been photographer uh, photographing everything and anything you can come up with like unique projects race events whatever right for years and years and years and somehow he continues to get the right shot whether you agree with what he does as far as a, a photographer is concerned it's incredible that he can continue to maintain that sort of unique eye because I feel like it's really, really easy in photography. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But I feel like it's really easy to fall into a trap of, well, I just got to get this shot. I just got to get oh, this yeah. shot. You're not, Absolutely. you're never pulling in this environment. You're never, like, it's really difficult. Yeah. Uh, from outside looking in just what I'm, exp- what I think I would see, it's really, really difficult as a photographer 
to consistently pull in the whole aura of the event and then t- and then take photos of that and and then encompass what you're doing each and every time you go through it because what you're doing is capturing the fans perspective mm-hmm. that's your job as a photographer theoretically yeah. right Get to, so, to provide some sort of experience or tell a story yeah and it's really hard to do when that's your 15th time at sebring yes but i think it also makes it extremely fun and rewarding because you go into and you go i've been here 10 times what else is left to see oh i understand it, every yeah. time you're just like trying to find that new angle or that new spot or that something different and that's like the fun of it yeah and that's you know it's like the old thing like you know if it was easy everybody would do it and nobody would care and so the fact that it's difficult makes it fun yep and but it is totally a trap that i fall into all the time and i'll have to remind myself even when i was at sun and fun uh i was there with drake and i remember telling him i'm just like walking around the static displays i'm like i just i just don't feel it i don't have the creative creativity right now i just i just i'm not seeing anything that do you stop taking photos at that point I do, yeah. But what's funny, what happened is Drake took the camera from me, and he started taking random pictures. Immediately, when he took the camera out of my hands, I was like, that looks cool over there. Now I don't have a camera to take a picture of. Look, look at that over there. Look at that reflection. It was really weird. So you needed threat, almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was almost like I needed pressure or yeah. something. Okay. Uh, so that was an interesting little little experiment. But um, but yeah, it's, it's tough, man, especially with motorsports or like aviation where typically you're doing – the bulk of your work with like a big telephoto and like because you're using that you'd want the best quality image and but sometimes it just doesn't matter you just got to throw on like a wide angle or a zoom like a 7200 where you're capturing more in the shot you know even though the plane's super small the car's super small it still has more impact than if you were just super tight on the car so that is that's really tough and especially because you know when i started out that was the shot I wanted. I saw the shots in like online or in magazines and they're really tight on the car, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, I need that shot. And then the first time I got a lens where I could get that shot, that's all I did was get that shot the entire race. I came back and was like, oh my God, this is the only photo I have basically. I took a bunch of the same shot mm-hmm. and I pretty much learned after that mistake that, you know, to take different pictures yeah. throughout the event. But yeah. That's uh, that's probably the hardest part, but also the most fun part about it. Okay, is trying to make something appear from nothing, basically. You know, like no one else would see that, and then you can sort of extract it from the moment. I see what you're from saying from the scene. Yeah, and uh, sometimes it's as simple as just like bending down or just moving like a couple feet. Um, literally would make the difference between like an absolutely epic shot and just a shot. So. That's that's kind of what keeps me going because you always feel like there's potential in everything. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, to answer the question, uh, the balance for event coverage, um, it's really difficult, and you just kind of you do the best you can, and whatever you get, you get. I don't think there's like an optimal way to do that. You just do it the best you can. Um, Drake asks, uh, when shooting at night. Uh, what do you set your exposure to, the headlights or the ambient light? I think that's because I used a Mercedes uh, night shot on the question. So that's probably where you got that from. Uh, <laughs> answering these photography questions is going to be really funny 
moving forward because oh, I can't answer any of it. So. <laughs> well, no, it's just you're funny. on your own on this one because I think uh, you know a lot of questions are asked like because uh, I've seen questions like this before. But the answer is well, it depends, <laughs> which is a lame. <laughs> of course, it is. It's yeah. a lame answer, but yeah. uh, but it depends on what effect you're going for. Headlights are tough, especially at a place like Sebring, because Sebring is really dark, and so you're dealing with the extreme contrast between the dark shadows and the headlights. Whereas some places at Daytona, even though the headlights are the same brightness, the rest of the scene is sort of filled with light, and so you can still see the scene even though the headlights sort of are the same exposure, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so for Sebring, it's like, well... If you raise the exposure too much, you just get nothing but blinding light. But um, it's actually more complicated than that because it depends. The headlights on these cars are actually angled in a way where they can see into the corners, right? They have, like, maximum coverage. Mm -hmm. So there comes a point in the corner where the headlight is pointed directly at you, and there you just, you know, it has a different effect than when it's pointed slightly to the left of you. And so... I think the best answer for the exposure is it depends on if you're trying to get the detail of the car, the front of the car, or you're trying to get the overall scene, and you just kind of mess with that and play with it in the moment. But in terms of, like, trying to get a particular shot or trying to get something uh, interesting, I kind of just spray and pray when it's like that, or I'm just looking for harsh shadows that would accentuate lines on the car or some sort is of it, recognizable part of the car is it a setting type of thing like like not setting as in in your camera but setting as in where you are in a given moment so like you're just yeah let me just spam a bunch of photos all right i don't like where that's it let me make that let me like you don't go into this and look at the ambient lighting and go okay i'm gonna need this i'm gonna need yeah, this I'm no gonna need no this. here's my first photo no no no, no. Like, it's <laughs> it's totally trial and error the entire time okay. for, for me at least because i'll i'll just I pretty much do that anytime I show up to a spot. I'll just kind of stand there for a little bit and go, what do I want to try? And I'll, like, look at the light, and I'll, like, look at the scene and be like, okay, let me try this. And if that doesn't work, I'll try something else. And I sort of just let the ADD take over. Not that I have ADD, but, that like, that mindset of, like, just mm -hmm. going from one thing to the next and just letting it flow with just random ideas, that's mm -hmm. kind of what I do. Um, and I think that applies to night shooting, too, where it's like, okay, you know, you're just looking at it with your eye, and you're like, I really like, you know, that one spotlight over there when the cars are right there. Yeah. You can see the outline of the car, so I'll try to get that. And then you're in the process, framing the photo with yeah. the lighting that you have. But then in the process, you take a couple extra shots, and you go, actually, I kind of like it over here. And then you chase that. So yeah. you just kind of, okay, play by ear saying. and just try a bunch of random stuff. Which <laughs> no, it makes listen. It sounds I, I, like a bad answer. <laughs> no, because I, I think that I'm actually able to provide a good dynamic here because I don't know anything squat about yeah. photography. So if you're able to explain it enough to where I can go, oh, no, I get that. Okay. Okay, well, that's then, good then. Then, yeah, then I think we're in good shape. All right, cool. That's, that's like, a just because she's a photographer in the other room yeah. does not mean that I follow <laughs> any, like, I just go, yes, sweetie, that looks great. <laughs> because that's always the answer. Yes, yes. Uh, we're very sensitive photographers. Everything's tied to our, our personal sense of value. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> um, uh, next one, we've got Lee who asks, uh, how do you feel about EVFs for panning shots, motorsports photography in general? EVF <sighs> meaning electric EVF, vehicle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. uh, electronic viewfinder. So there's been a recent 
revolution in cameras where they're using electronic viewfinders instead of optical ones. It's like an optical one is just a mirror system where you're looking directly through the lens, basically, um, through the viewfinder. Okay. So this would be something similar to that of an LCD panel that you might see come off of. That's that is essentially your yeah electric, small one yeah. is what the EVF is yeah. the electronic version yeah. So if I remember correctly, she has an R seven. She has an R six. R six. Yeah, that and ha- is and that's considered an that's an EVF. Okay, and that's one of the better ones. Um, so, but my my layman's terms, yep, right? Yep, like yeah. Anybody that has ever held a video camera, like a yeah, camcorder yeah, yeah, type of thing, yeah. that panel that comes out is mm-hmm. your EVF. Yeah, That's exactly. what we're referring to. Or even Just your phone. Your phone, when you put it... Is an EVF. Yeah, exactly. If you if that was your phone was the viewfinder, it's the same thing. Okay. It's a smaller scale. But everything that comes with that is the same stuff that comes with any screen. So it has a refresh rate, um, brightness, contrast, color, all that kind of stuff. Whereas the OVF, you're literally looking through the lens. Yes. Um so what does OVF stand for? I'm sorry. Optical viewfinder. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> on, no. on EVF versus OVF, but I think the fundamental thing is that, man, I'm full of lame answers, but it, the main thing, hold on, let me stick to the question before I go way off the rails here. Uh, EVS for panning shots, motorsports photography. So basically for motorsports, I don't like EVFs because I don't like the refresh rate problems. And for motorsports, like if I'm trying to capture sparks or a car bottoming out, I don't want any input lag at all. I don't want any motion blur, which is also what you get with that. Uh, I just want to, I just want to look through lens. Yeah. I don't want to complicate it. I just want to see it, take the shot. The only benefit you really get with the EVF for photography in general and motorsports or something is that you can see the exposure in the screen. So you can literally see what it's going to look like, mm-hmm. basically. It gives you like a little preview yeah. of the settings, uh, which is useful for shooting on the fly. But like, it's not useful enough to justify all the drawbacks th- for me. Are there not, are, aren't there, maybe, maybe I'm missing exactly what you're talking about, but are there not like, her R6, if I remember correctly, the EVF is also what you look through in your eyepiece, right? Like, it's not just that LCD panel. Oh, yeah, no. It yeah. Is, it's an electronic viewfinder. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, there is no way for you to look through the lens. No. Like, if you turn the camera off, you just see black. Okay. When my camera's off, I can still look through it. Okay. And do just, I could f- turn the focus okay. ring if I wanted to and everything. Yeah, I mean, it just strikes me as, like, if you're, if you're really pushing towards, like, I get it for some various different forms of photography, so, you know, Something like, slow-paced that you're setting a scene. Well, so she does portrait photography. Yeah. I, I think that makes Super complete useful. sense, yeah. Super I, useful. Um, but for, like, panning, again, I'm the layman here. Yeah. But for panning of motorsports or anything like that, that strikes me as next to impossible or at least dumb to attempt. It's irritating, I would describe it as. And I also think that the newer cameras that I've personally used, I wasn't very impressed by. And so it's like you combine all those things together, and it's just like there's no reason for me to switch to an EVF. Uh, I've tried a couple of them. I've tried an R5, uh, the R6 a little bit, and then a Sony A7. And... Every time I was just like, I think this has huge potential. Uh, if those screens get to the point where like gaming monitors are now, 
won't be a problem at all. Like, good to go. Uh, but they're not there yet. Okay. So the technology is... So you're, you're not opposed to the idea of progressing to that extent. You're just... I, the, the technology isn't there to keep up with what yeah. was previously useful. Yeah, and for panning... Or not even pre- what is currently useful. Yeah, for panning especially, it, there are some perks like... Um, you might not notice, but next time you see, even on TV when they're like panning the cars, mm-hmm. there's motion blur in the background depending on the shutter speed, even in yeah. a video camera. Yeah. Um, and typically they do that on purpose to mimic what your eye, because your eye sees motion blur too. Like when I wave my hand, it's blurry. Yes. In front of my face. So that's why they do that. And also, you see that in an EVF the same way. The cool part is like, in order to get a good panning shot, you need to match the speed of the subject. And you know when that's happening in an EVF because the f- subject becomes sharp. Whereas in the OVF, it's not as obvious. Um, okay. So, so that, there, there are some advantages to it. Yeah. But again, it's like, okay, that's cool. There's some other cool things. But generally speaking, it's really irritating and it kills battery life. So <laughs> that's a, that felt like just such a little like throw in jab. I, it, it I, is. I, it's I a understand. legitimate jab, too, because oh. like it drastically reduces the battery. life. I understand. But that just felt like out of nowhere. Also, battery life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was looking into it, you know, because like like I said, I'm not generally opposed to it. And I was like, start looking at the stats and uh, current culture uh, with YouTube reviews and the way things are marketed. Nobody really thinks about how you practically use anything anymore. You just look at the specs, or like people compare photos on a screen and be like, can you tell the difference between this $5,000 camera setup and this $1,000 camera setup? And you look at it on that's already, both files have already been compressed on this screen, and you're just like, well, they don't look that different. Why is this one $5,000? You're like, okay, well, that one's $5,000 because it takes good pictures and it does a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super reliable and rugged, and yeah. you can use it in the rain, and yes. it, the shutter will last 250,000 yes, shots yes, instead yes, of yes, 50,000 yes. shots. Yep. You know, that's the This is stuff. where you circle in D, all of the above. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, that's why I went with the camera that I did, which is a 1DX Mark II, even though it's an older camera, because it's a tank. And I don't want to have to worry about my gear. I just want it to work. Yeah. The photos are on me. You know, cameras are good enough now where it's like you can take pretty much a good photo with anything. Yeah, I feel like I could hand you a Rebel and you're still going to make it work. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's like I, yeah. I think that's generally true of any photographer. So, you know, you need to get something that works with your workflow and what you do more so well, than the photo quality. Correct me if I'm wrong, too, but if I've learned anything from photography between you, my uncle, and my wife, who I've spoken all about on this podcast, yeah, your lens is your your primary piece of your yeah. your primary tool, right? Yes. Like you get a good lens, you can slap it on a mediocre body and get a great photo. You get a great body and a mediocre lens, your photo may not be what you hope it hope it is. Yeah, it's more of a bottleneck than the camera. And it's more of like a with the camera you just have to cross a certain threshold. Once you cross that threshold, the glass is what really elevates mm-hmm. you to that next yep. level. I and I have heard that from every photographer I have ever talked to under any circumstances. Yeah. So anyone aspiring to be a photographer listening to this podcast, spend the money on lens. <laughs> yeah, spend the money on the lens and also the lens within the right ecosystem that you want to because you can use that lens with whatever camera body you get down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, so as long as you stay within that ecosystem ecosystem 
by that I mean the lens mount. You're good to go. Yeah. So there are adapters too. I don't know if you've had any experience with any like that because you have the EF and the full mm-hmm. frame lenses. I generally just try to stay away from because it's an extra point of contact. Yeah. Um, and it's always going to be a little bit worse. Yeah. Than without. Um, there's some weird. Briefly, there's some weird parallel or some weird thing that happens with full frame on EF bodies if i remember correctly or there's there's something that goes on where if you slap one on the other uh there's crop sensors where you have to use i think you're you can use whatever lens in. yeah because uh, the sensor's smaller whereas if you use like a crop sensor lens on a full frame you'll get you'll see the corners essentially okay. of the. that's what i was getting at so yeah. that's that was a one like warning if you will yeah i i would personally i would say I wouldn't consider anything that's crop sensor to really be um, useful to me. Uh, they have specific uses and advantages, like because you, you actually get effectively more reach from it because mm-hmm. it has a magnification effect, right? Because it's a smaller sensor. Um, now, crop sensors like the Rebel that we had spoken mm-hmm. about, yeah, yeah, exactly, and they're a little bit cheaper generally, um, but. The bigger the sensor, it's just nicer. The images look nicer to me. Uh, like your cell phone, the reason it has that like cell phone look to it is because it's a super tiny sensor. Uh, generally speaking, a bigger sensor creates a uh, uh, larger or a shallower depth of field. So like blurry background and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just lets in more light. It's just better in every scenario in my opinion <laughs> okay it just makes everything easier listen, too uh, listen uh, all of our listeners are going to want to know that like no one's <laughs> looking for you to dance around the subject they want to go look this guy knows what he's talking about yeah what's the best stuff way. to get i would never recommend a crop sensor to anyone under any circumstance even if they wanted the extra reach i would just say to use an extender not to use the um the, the crop sensor there you go but there are some people who I got, they prefer it, but personally, I would just—it's just easier. Shy away from it. Yeah, fair enough. Um. So yeah, EVFs are okay. Um, <laughs> to get back to the question. Yeah, they're they're okay. Uh, but I, again, I wouldn't recommend one to somebody. Five out of asking. ten. At best. Yeah. Um. So next up, I believe. Let's check. This is Victor who asks. This is a racing question. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, what is a race in history that you can watch endlessly and never get tired of seeing? I think there's different ways to interpret Ooh, this. Man. Yeah. So are you referring to the the race, like so? Yeah, like Lamont, a particular year in race. And year out, or are you referring to or like a series? Every time we watch, yeah, yeah. So in a, an event, I can watch year in, year out, no questions asked. Tune in. Every single time, it's Le Mans. Yeah. No, like the, the I will watch Le Mans no matter what every time. Is there a particular race that you would like pinpoint? Not for Le Mans. No. Yeah. Okay. No, there's no particular year because it's 24 hours and no one's going back <laughs> and rewatching 24. Hours. I mean, there's someone on the planet doing that, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a really big endurance racing fan. Yeah. I'm not going back and rewatching 24 hours, even if it's over the course of multiple days. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Um, the first one that pops to my mind as far as a single race that I've gone back and rewatched multiple times because it was just ridiculous, and it's a long one, 
is uh, Canada 2011 in Formula One. Really? Yeah. Pouring rain, chaos, mm. all, all hell broke loose. Um, spoiler alert for those of you that have not been on this planet since 2011 and may have missed it. Jensen Button ends up winning. <laughs> just a ridiculous race that no one deserved to win. Like, it was just chaos over over all of it. I, I would say that would be very high on my list. Brazil 2016? Is that okay. the one Verstappen won um, in F1? I want to say that was one of his first races. Also a wet race in Formula 1. Coincidentally, apparently I like wet races. Okay. Very, very good race. Um, those are the two that kind of stand out to me immediately that I think of that I would go back, rewatch the race. I, I am not keen on, I'd like, I'll go back and watch old football games or old, uh, hockey games or whatever. Yeah. Racing because it's so definitive. It's like, all right, I know the winner and there's not enough that happens in the middle of the race. I don't have a tendency to go back and rewatch. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard time of picking individual races that I would go back and rewatch. But as far as events are concerned, there there's no parallel for me to Le Mans. I agree with that generally. Um, this is a really good question. I think it's a really difficult question. I, I want to think about it longer because yeah, it is like yeah, it's it's a it, it's one of the best questions I've ever received as far as what I'm doing or what I watch for racing. Yeah. Because I, I really want to say Le Mans, too. But, like, I don't think I could pinpoint a race that I'd want to watch. I would want to watch the last 45 minutes to two hours of 2015. When did Toyota fail? That was rough. I yeah. couldn't handle that. Yeah, but Watching don't that you, over and but over. You would, well, no, I don't mean over and over and over again. But I'm just thinking, all right, I'm going to go back and rewatch it at least once. Like, uh-huh. Okay. And I'm trying, I'm trying to provide some sort like i all right victor send back tell like tell us back i know this is cliche saying like respond back to us but what you have you don't ask this question if you don't have something Yeah, you gotta have something in mind so what did you have in mind like what was what's your ulterior uh, ulterior motive here i'm i'm tempted to pick like points in history that are really significant to me yeah so like when the mclaren f1 won Le Mans. Yeah, okay. But was that a good race? I don't know. I didn't I wasn't there. Right. You know, but it's a really cool point in history. Yeah. Uh when the GT forties won, uh the nine seventeens, really cool era. The seven eight seven. Um yeah. well that's the thing with racing is you end up picking more eras than you do individual races yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. I mean but I think if I was to pick a race, it would be I'm I'm gonna broaden the scope here instead of one particular race in history i'm gonna say uh in general the target florio road races okay that would be what i would want to see and i would i don't think you'd ever get it's like rally racing but with sports cars and gt cars. well yeah you say that it's like through one the of hills my, of italy one of my favorite things on the planet to watch just when i have nothing to do and all i want to do is listen to nice things is watch hill climbs like hill climbs, like Pikes Peak or oh, something. Uh, not even just Pikes Peak, just like generic ass. Oh, like British hill deep, climb, deep Italy yeah, hill yeah, climb, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, that sounds so good. You know, like that type of stuff. Yeah. I can totally get behind, and I could just watch. I could watch the same video fifteen times. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as the individual, I don't know. That's a that's a really hard question because I. That's the thing about racing is. 
you get a race that's good enough for you to want to rewatch it again, you remember the result and therefore you've ruined the race as mm-hmm. far as rewatching is concerned. Yeah. So you almost need a race that you it's, sort of forgot about that was actually pretty good. But what, something that's you know like what, an experience. You know what comes to mind, actually, now that I say that, is um, a couple of years ago in Formula One when Lance Stroll finished on the podium for the first time really? in Baku. Okay. Right? Remember, okay. it, didn't he pass, or no, Botas passed him to get second because he lollygagged his way to the finish line. Okay. It was just a, a an absurd race, like... All hell broke loose, and he finished on the podium in a Williams hmm. in, like, 2017 or 2018 or whatever it was. Yeah. That's one of those races. I don't remember enough about it, but I remember there was chaos. Yeah. That I would probably watch again. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't That's pin it down. That's sort of what you have to get into, because the problem, like, like I said, it's just, like, I remember every last detail of X race or that race that I would think I would want to rewatch. And therefore, I don't want to rewatch it because it's not. I'm not going to waste my time knowing. Like you don't watch, you don't rewatch your favorite movie over and over and over again because you know every last detail. The only excitement when it comes to when it comes down to like rewatching your favorite movie is going. You haven't seen this. Come here. We got to watch <laughs> this movie, right? Like you share that yeah. experience with yeah. someone else. So if you're just sitting in your room rewatching, and maybe I'm pinholing you, Victor. In which case, I'm sorry, but like. <laughs> If you're sitting back and going, I'm just going to rewatch this race over and over and over again because of maybe you're breaking down race moves or something, mm-hmm. I can get behind that. But most of the coverage, like NBC's not giving you race moves. ESPN's yeah. not giving you race moves. So unless you're getting onboards, you're not getting anything out of it. So yeah. I don't know. I For me, it would definitely be some sort of sports car race. Would have to be. Yeah, I, I, I think sports car endurance race is just my jam, and espe- I would say, especially if I could be there in person, then it would be. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. you know what, and and now that I think about it a little bit more, like Le Mans, I love. Sebring might be above it for me. I don't know. Yeah. Sebring or Le Mans would be my two like events. Yeah. No matter what, I will tune into every year. Yeah, agreed. No matter what, agreed. Yeah, I was just about to say I like I I will watch I I have not I will. I have watched Sebring on my phone at mm. work. I'll throw a wild card in here. All right. Goodwood Revival. Yeah, Revival in particular. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because the, the Goodwood event itself, I don't I couldn't care less about. But like the racing is amazing. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what like uh, class it is, or what particular race it is, it's all amazing. Yes, yeah. So I, I would watch. Well, because there is somehow people driving millions and millions of dollars of vehicles, not giving a damn what happens to them. <laughs> oh yeah, they're just hooning them. Yeah, like like old Bentleys and everything. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I would watch that. That's all fair. the time, over and over again. That's an event that they don't do enough to push it. As far I as kinda, I'm concerned, like, I kind of want it to stay where it's at right now. Though. I understand, but also, like, would you not like to randomly tune in on a Sunday in middle of whatever they? I what is that? What time of year is that? It's I don't usually in September. Okay, so yeah. middle of September on a Sunday afternoon, you're sitting on your lanai. Generally decent weather in September. It's a little yeah, rainy yeah, every once in yeah. a while, but decent weather. So you sit on your lanai with a beer, just watching Goodwood Arrival on. NBC or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I, I know I would. it's I know it's on YouTube, but like wouldn't you 
would you mind a professional broadcast? I mean, I mean the broadcast they have is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. But it's like, but it, like, like, what if we had like a full on Goodwood series? Now we're now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> Do you think they'd ever stop at Sebring? I've thought about this a lot because they need to bring <clears throat> Goodwood to America. We need a race like Sebring that. Sebring would not happen. It'd be so cool though. It would. The problem. <laughs> the problem with Sebring. It would is, wreck cars. Oh, it would destroy. Yeah. Any prototype they attempted <laughs> to put on it, like just ruin it. They the, those cars. N- those cars weren't built for it to begin with. They used to race there. I'm sure the bumps weren't as bad at the some time. Some of them. Some of them did. Yeah. Some not of all them. of them. Yeah. Not the F1 cars and yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, if they if they were to try and bring Goodwood over here, I think Daytona is probably the best way to do it. I think it's that or Lime Rock. Really, Lime Rock. So I would I would have said Indianapolis Infield before that. I don't I, th- li- I don't need... like it, but I think that I guess if you're gonna go for iconic, then Watkin Glen would be a very good option. Possibly, I haven't or seen Barber. enough. Barber would be a perfect fit, honestly, but because Barber is that kind of like prestigious look yeah. where the gusto you, you need something that isn't too wide open though i think nah. indy's too wide open yeah so stick it at barber barber would be fantastic and for it's it. beautiful it's gorgeous everything yeah. about yeah barber's where you put it okay that'd be epic yeah i mean just go ahead and picture like the old the old marlboro f1 cars ripping around barber right now yeah although mm-hmm. i feel like i haven't been there although looking at pictures it does seem like you're a little bit far away from the action who but. cares i mean honestly like it's it, I, to yeah. some extent it it matters but again like we're watching on some sort of service right like streaming yeah, okay, service okay television I'm th- i was thinking like being there as a fan yeah of yeah. course you want to be closer but yeah. as a fan you want to be riding in board so what what point what's your limiting factor yeah well that was a good question that is a really, really good question. Quick tangent. Quick. Okay. All right. What we're, we're within our allotted tangents. Okay. So what series would you like to bring over to the United States? Because my obvious answer to this question is Australian V8 supercars. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have very good success over here if they brought it over. NASCAR would die if they did that. Probably. Uh, what series would you like to bring over to the United States and make as popular as possible? Uh, it may already be over here, but no, what would I, you like to see pushed? I, I, I know what it would be. Okay. This is a weird answer. But in Japan... Nah, okay, we're going real weird. Okay, no, it's not. It's really cool. Okay. In Japan, they have like a lightly modified streetcar series, basically. So like, think okay. uh, Spoon S2000. Yeah. You know, like the kits, the arrow kits yeah, you yeah, can yeah. get and stuff. Yep. yep. So like, it's like cars like that. Yeah. So like lightly modified street cars, I love that. And I love the idea of it because it's like a lower tier in every way to modern GT racing. Yeah. So you'd have small shops like you have in Japan, like Spoon. Imagine like small shops here that pop up and, uh, you know, they can compete in a series that's not like ridiculously well, what's expensive. The, what's, the, what's the company that did a bunch of like body work for, drift for, or for drifting? Um, 2F. Remember when 2F became really popular? Mm-mm. They started doing a bunch of stuff for like drifting bodywork. I don't know how effective their era was, but their whole mm-hmm. thing was body kits. I okay. could totally see a company like that going, 
Yeah, hell yeah, we can surprise uh, provide yeah, they do a... like small wide body kits, yeah. you know, for okay. all these like sort of touring car level yeah. cars. And yeah. I'm thinking like, and then let the teams do all the mechanical work type of stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't you can't modify the cars as much. You know, it's like you can't modify like suspension, pickup points, and stuff like that. Yeah, like you'd have to make it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it'd be tough to regulate and make it fair. Be, I just think it's really cool. Oh, it, I'm sure it would be great racing and very enjoyable. Yeah. I don't see it ever being even remotely popular over here. No, I, I don't either. It would be super cool, though. Yeah. like Because to me, it's but almost like Trans Am. Would, would it not entirely lose the cool factor, the allure of it, by getting out of Japan? Is a, that not a little half bit. of the... like? But what if we Americanized it? What if it was like Trans Am was back in the day? Okay, where well, we that's take a, a Camaro, totally, like as far as my imagination goes, totally different yeah, animal. Yeah, let's take a Camaro and like a Mustang, and you literally put a roll cage in it, and you say go. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. Okay, like if that's what you're going. And down I know, with people that, are going to say that's like what GT4 is, and it's not. Like those are factory cars. Well, yeah, and you're people are also going to say, okay, that's TA TA1 and TA2. It's like no, no, those, those are, are those are like NASCARs yeah. basically. So, yeah, I I think. That's like my favorite kind of racing. And I thought I'd be more into the GT4 class, but I'm not for some reason. It's just does I don't know, it's just not interesting. I like the idea of the lower category not being a bunch of factory teams. The lower category should be like random shops that come out with this awesome body kit that's yeah. super effective, you know, like that kind of thing. I think that'd be sweet. And that's a real thing in Japan that they do yeah. that's like popular, so it's I, pretty okay. cool. Okay. I'm I'm in a, I'm I'm f- I'm for it. Go ahead and do it. I don't know how popular it'd be, but yeah. I'm I'm certainly not opposed to it. I'd watch it. So what's your pick? Australian V8 Supercars. Oh, that was it. Yeah, just bring them over. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I no. thought you just like threw that up as a suggestion. No, You're just no, like no. no that. No. Yeah. I want more of that. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Can you just like please take those cars, put them on Lime Rock, put them on Sonoma, put them on Coda, put them on uh, yeah. VIR. Like, dude. The amount of good tracks Did in the United s- States that are just craving high horsepower, loose ass, yeah. big bodied vehicles that can bang against each other. And also like, brake. But also brake, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like Australian V8 Supercars is built for the United States and it somehow has never come over here. The weird part, too, now is uh, they're all Mustangs and Camaros. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it used <laughs> so to be holding them. Literally... It used to be holding forward. Now it's like whatever. It yeah. Just we'll full on Americanize it. Yeah. But I mean, there was a good period of time where they were running Lexus as well was involved, and Nissan was involved, yep. Yep. and yeah, there was there was a couple of a couple of manufacturers in there beyond what we were used to seeing, and it's just you know like that's that seems to be like Australia has a bunch and New Zealand because they they do go over there as well, which by the way is not close. Like anybody <laughs> that doesn't understand geography, it's like. <laughs> 2000 kilometers away like yeah. it's multi-hour plane ride yeah but somehow they you know they go over there to do a couple of races right and all these tracks are like really technical tight tracks small tracks and i'm just sitting here going so you're, you're describing like Watkins Glen. you're describing sonoma you're describing like why are we not at um, laguna would be sweet. laguna would be fantastic what's the one i'm thinking of um, sebring would be awesome uh thunder hill would be amazing yeah uh, what's the other one in the mountains in California? Thief's Mile. What? Uh, what? What's that main track that I'm blanking on? The one where they do all the car reviews. Yes. 
I don't know why I can't remember the name of it right <laughs> I can't now. Can't either. It's like a really obvious one. Maybe, too. maybe because we're two hours into this podcast. Yeah. But um, you know, like there's a number of really, really good tracks in the United States, and I'm sure there's there's got to be crap in like North Dakota and Wyoming that no one's ever heard of that would be a fantastic fit for that type of stuff. Yeah. What like what are we doing here? No, they this, should totally bring them over, it, at least for like one race. No, I don't mean bring them over. I mean start a damn series here. There's oh, no reason. like that? Like, yeah. I think both. Well, yeah, both would work. Yeah. Well, what cars would it be? Would it be the same cars? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think you go big body sedans. Like, you go ahead and name it, like, get a Cadillac involved. Have, I would love to see that. Yeah, like, get the, <laughs> the what is it, the AT4, at, not AT4, uh, that's GMC. I would just go full on CTSV. C- CT4. Well, they don't, it's not the CTSV oh, it's anymore. Not the CTS. it's, the, it's the CT. CT4V or something Black like that. Blackwing or whatever. Yeah, it's something yeah. ridiculous. But anyway, like, yeah, you do that. You that, do a, the Lexus sedan. Yep. You do the um, the S- Chevrolet SS. You do... It'd be like an Americanized British touring cars. Yeah, but they're they're giant. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. Like modern-day giants. Yeah, yeah. It's like... It, but it just... It would be awesome. I mean, it's like... And that's the thing is, like, I, I remember when I was really big into watching a lot of Australian V8 supercars... Uh, Drake was really big into watching British touring cars, and I tried to watch the British touring cars, and it was good, but it wasn't quite the same. Like the uh, the thing about the Australian V8 supercars is they they are still very race car. I mean, it's sequential, yeah. it's full roll cage, it's you you can adjust your brake bias. Like the, the they're proper race cars. They're closer to NASCARs than they are to street cars. Yeah, and the British touring cars often felt the opposite. They often felt like, okay, we're pushing a little bit too much towards streetcar, and not but, enough but not in a way car. that's like fun. Like for me, throwing a roll cage in it and going racing is cool. I love that because you yeah. see it and you go, "This is just a car." They almost went too far, like too close. Yeah, to too race in between. Car. Yeah, yeah, where it's sort of in no man's land, where you'd rather see like the crazy, you know, like the Alpha DTM cars. Yeah, with the crazy aero and super Alpha's sunk down. Another company you could get involved. Why? Why? Would, yeah, why not stick the true. Julia in it? Yeah, like, that would be cool. They really need to make two door in their car. Every time I see a Julia, man, I'm like, I I gotta own one of those one of these days. I like, almost the, I almost got one. I know. It drives it drives nice. I'm sure it does. <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> Problem is you have to get the quadrifolio. Otherwise what are you doing? I don't think you have to. Ah, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it's just one of those things. It's like all right, I, d- I don't have to get the M5. I'll just get the 540. It's like, oh, no, that's, that's, no, no. I see where you're going with that, but I will, I would argue that even the base car looks pretty good. It does, yes. Yeah, yeah fair, fair. Yeah. I will grant you that. The, 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 there the is quad, not a, the quad is awesome. There's not enough of a look uh, of an appearance difference between the quad and the base that there is uh, uh, to, to yeah, justify. Yeah, 540 is like really Oh, lame. it's bad. It's yeah. bad, yeah. It, it is full on like grandma sedan. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand. Okay. And they also, they're available in, like, cool color combinations with cool interiors. Yeah. So. There's an awesome quad at work. Really? Navy blue, bright yellow brake calipers. Tell me it's like, got the brown seats. It does. It has that, like, cinnamon brown seats. Like and saddle seats. Yeah. Uh, and then it's got, like, the dark gray wheels. Hmm. And you're just like, dude, you nailed it. You got it right. Like, whatever, you, you got it. Like, yep. you win. Yep. Well done, sir. <laughs> Coincidentally, both of his children have five O's. I'm like, what? The, how the hell does that yeah, work? How? 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 What? Like, that's weird. There's, you guys didn't teach charisma in your family, <laughs> like. 
I think that's one of the only sedans I'd buy. That, a CTSV, and... Yeah. Uh, oh, I'd buy an M5. And an M5. Not, not, I was a, not say, a modern M5. But, the V10 uh, M5. Oh, yeah. The yeah. E60? Hell yeah. 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 Those are the only three that are Sedan, worth I'd buy it. I'd buy an E93. Or E90. E90 or the E93? The four-door Which M3? one's the four-door? E... Oh, man. I've been out of this game a long time. <laughs> right? E90? I know it's E90, E92, and E93. Yeah, I just... E93 is a convertible. E92 is a coupe. So it's got to be E90. Okay. The sedan. All right. Yeah. I would do one of those, though. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay. I prefer the the coupe looks so good. Also, super big fan of the E thirty six sedans. Those are the sharp. They're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. Sedans. The E thirty six M three. Oh, they came in a sedan. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, big fan of those. Interesting. Like I, I'm a like big, for the touring car vibes I, or just yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. a big fan of this of the coupe that became a sedan because, <laughs> like, it, like, like the IS three hundred. Love that. I, uh-huh. It's like, that should have never... Why the hell does that have four doors? I don't know, but it looks good. Like, huh. I just... That proportion, I'm I'm keen on. I'm a weirdo. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But I got nothing else. All right. Do we have any more questions? No, that's it. That's it for the questions. We actually went okay. longer here than we did when we had, like, stuff to talk about. What did you expect? <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> so we'll wrap it up here. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. It's been a long one. Uh, if you're interested, uh, you can follow us on social media at Motorsports in Focus. Uh, also, just today, the podcast is now available on Spotify. Uh, still waiting on iTunes for whatever reason, so I'll uh, make an announcement once everything's good to go there, and there'll be links on the website too, so so you can easily find it. So, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>